and kittens sun just came ripping out and then it disappeared we got southwest winds but it's clear it's gonna be the 60s and it's december and it was just in the 40s and 30s oh he's really stretching it out oh it's really 8 30 in the morning oh he's really having his coffee oh was he peeking it he hit it a little hard i think i hit it a little hard ladies and gentlemen music is a powerful thing music is a powerful thing i generally lean on the side of the absurdist nature of music that we take this thing you're just vibrating air and you're taking it so seriously but sometimes it is you're like wow this is a super serious thing music i gotta have more coffee i should have drank some water do you guys wake up and just drink a, a mountain of water i usually do i'm talking like 50 ounces before i can even function that's singer life people are like why do you drink so much it's like the more you sing the more you're like i gotta i'm gonna drink a lot of water anyway i played a wedding yesterday that was half arabic speaking and half spanish speaking and then i played brown-eyed girl and brought the room together that was the moment where i was like oh you know music is deep music is a deep thing i gotta stop ripping on music and i also felt that same exact energy on saturday the day before when I got to hang out with the master percussionist, educator, podcaster, cool cat, world champ, the just a homie among homies, Damon Grant, professionally known as Damon M. Grant. I've known Damon for years, and uh, I'm really glad he came down, just because we got to hang at a personal level, not like on a gig where you just make small talk. It's like we actually hung out, as I always say, Oh my God, he's yawning in the intro. The, I got to do it now. I got to do it first thing in the morning because my whole day is just going to run away. And then I'm going to be like, I don't, it's harder for me to do this at night because Rachie's sleeping in the next room. So I got I to gotta do this first thing in the morning. That's that. Anyway, doing the hang after the podcast because it makes, I have no, it's like, it makes the hang so real. We were just forced to hang out and not touch our phone. So therefore the, you're like, we really have to hang out. We got Greek food, hung out with Rachel, had tea again. Damon, what an incredible day and hang. It was so wonderful to see you and hang. Uh, that's really it. Let's get to it. Faster turnaround. Hey, good luck. Um... I'm going to play you guys in with Hey Good Looking. We barely talk about Damon's record. No, no, no. We do actually. We, we don't talk about his creative processes. But one thing that I really enjoyed about Damon is that he is consistently evolving and learning and changing, just like the music slash entertainment business. And it, throughout this podcast, you will hear all these things about him. I think it's easy in fact, the easy choice is to become a jaded kind of veteran musician when you can grow and learn and evolve and change, which Damon does. And so I relate that specifically to his album because 
He was like, I'm going to learn how to do this. I'm going to check this stuff out. Of, and I mean, do this. It's like from songwriting to marketing to releasing music to recording music to, to building a home studio during COVID that can take video. The, the guy is in it to win it. And he is winning it. There's no end win, I'm saying. But like the music, you can get, the business can pass you by. Uh, and it's easy to just be like, man, this is what I do. This is what I want to do. I'm not doing any. The, Damon is, he's out there. I enjoy, he's, in, Damon, you're an inspiration to me. It's easy to just be a jaded old son of a bitch. And I'm like, oh, I'm jaded. This is what I do. I don't want to change. And then you got dudes like Damon, changing, growing, evolving. So I think <sighs> there's subtle stuff to what I'm talking about. The music business is just hyper, hyper, hyper competitive. And if you can't do it, there's 100 other people that are, as my friend Tony Maselli said, they're younger, better, and better looking. And that is the truth. It's a competitive scene. So you gotta, you gotta constantly be whipping. And Damon is constantly whipping. The other thing I think that we didn't necessarily address that Damon talked about after the podcast that was a note in my head, so I have to write everything down to remember these notes, but I thought this was an interesting one, Damon, is that like people don't necessarily understand the value added of like percussion or a percussionist because it's generally like a drummer and it's a secondary thing, whereas his main thing is all the frosting. You know, he's a frosting expert. You know, he, he assumes that you're going to come in with a good layer cake. He's like, I'm going to work the tops of this. Balao. I, you know, I don't know how good that cake reference is. It came to me instantaneously. But he can do, there's so much sort of things that he can do from samples on the record to all sorts of just kind of embellishments in all style. I mean, percussion is like what the first instrument. He kind of talks about that. He has some incredibly ambitious projects he's undertaking. All right, dudes. Check him out online, Damon M. Grant. He's a cool dude, smart dude, evolving dude. An inspiration. I'm inspired. Damon, I'm inspired by you. You inspire me. Um, I still don't know if I'm going to set up a visual studio in here. I like talking to studio cats. That's a, after the pandemic, like, is that really going to stick around? Yes, it's going to stick around because everybody's creating content. But I feel like you just want to look at the one hot person or whatever. So they don't need video of me. I ain't no Tom Candy. Come on now. All right. This track is Hey Good Looking. It has an amazing music video. Why'd I wait so long to make my move? That's the hook. Check it out. Damon, thank you again. I hope everybody's well, nutritious, delicious, staying real. Catch a little piece of this warm day. Looks like the weekend's going to be good. I think it's going to be a good weekend. Mucho love, poppy. And I'm back. Damon does so much that I can't even remember to mention it all. Think of that, Damon. Damon does so much I can't even, in a seven and a half minute intro, 
Huh. Damon has an amazing podcast as well, which is why he's going to be so comfortable in this podcast called Discussions in Percussion, which I have listened to multiple episodes of. I think you all should check it out. Even if you listen to the first 10 minutes of it, I feel like it's a great recap and update on music industry news. Damon is just a journalist, music journalist, low key. Damon, right? And then he interviews drummers and percussionists. We talk about it a little bit in the podcast, but I told him I would set this up in the intro. So now I, I came back. I'm adding to this track, Paul intro track. Oh, discussions in percussion. Well, really phenomenal podcast. So check it out. Damon M. Grant, percussionist, educator, podcaster. Check him out. Enjoy this. I'm glad I added this. See, right? I hope Damon's getting a good laugh right now because he's like, Paul added to the intro. That's right. Okay, keep it real.
How's that? Look at that. You sound good. I hear you good. Yeah, I feel like I'm on the Howard Stern show. How do you do yours? How do you do your podcast? Um, in person? Yeah. Or, do you or, use- or I use a computer program when I can't get to the person. It's called Zencaster. No E at the end. Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. That one you can like have up to 10 people sign in. It records on separate links. You can also use video if you want. It'll transcribe it if you want. I just use the audio. But the other thing I do in person is I just use one of the um, the Zoom H6 handheld recorders. Yeah. Plug a couple. Uh, uh, yeah, we're in New York. <laughs> uh, plug a couple of directional mics in, and that's it. Because the directional mic will cut out like all the external noise, like the car that just went by. The car that passed. Yeah, you do. I like Zencaster. That sounds super cool. Yeah, it's great because um, a lot of my guests don't live near me. <laughs> and then we had a pandemic, so it was you were able to like your podcast is prolific, dude. You have like two hundred forty-seven of them now. It's like out of control or some shit. It's you, once you've a committed week. to once a week. For, yeah, I don't know why. For three years now, four uh, years, five. That's more years than I could even <laughs> get to. <laughs> Four years. You're like, it's five. Uh, you can't do math. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it, when, when I started with Marcos, we were like, oh, yeah, once a week, there should be plenty of time to do life and then sneak an episode in. And then it would be like, oh, man, it's Monday. Tuesday's tomorrow. <laughs> we need a guest. <laughs> Put out the APB, you know. But it would it, just be a Monday night. You'd like do a crash and bang. Like, we're getting this guy. Let's go. We would just start standing up. Like, if we were both inundated with gigs and work and stuff. Yeah. And it was, like, Monday afternoon. We were just a flurry of text messages to for, from both of us. Oh, my. <laughs> it's like, who do we know that will answer the phone right now? <laughs> <laughs> you're pulling contacts. Yeah, dude, you're going to run out of people, man. Yeah, you got, well, you, you got, like you're literally going to be like, and we've reached the end of the internet. Like this is all of the percussionists <laughs> and drummers, the people who hit things in time. It like, sounds like uh, the turnover rate for Amazon. I was just listening to the Daily podcast. Yeah, and they were talking about how Amazon has a hundred and fifty percent turnover rate, and that their they're employees. Yeah, and that Amazon they, has a hundred and fifty percent, and that they were basically 
ignoring that fact. They were like, yeah, well, whatever. There's so many people. We know that they won't be here for longer than three years for the most part. And we'll just keep hiring people. And now they've realized, uh-oh, we're getting to the point where we're going to run out of people. So now they're giving people bonuses and up in their pay. It was like a whole thing of just how they understood that they were just disposable and they didn't care. Is this is, is this the delivery people? Or is this like, because I feel like all of the, the warehouses white cow because they started people i know have been at amazon for fucking ever you know? right so but this is like the, the, the warehouses and the whatever you call those the shipping the um, prime trucks the yeah prime but shoppers. also the um the shipping fulfillment places the fulfillment centers because they keep buying more land and they keep having more places so they keep needing more people um yeah and the uh what else were they saying that the whole point of amazon was that they have a lot of stuff, and it's close to you, yes, so that they can get it to you quickly. But anyway, that's it. No, that's an incredible turnover rate of. Uh, that's like um, David Bowie's band in the '90s or something. You know what I mean? Like, who's next? You know what I mean? Like, who's next? Next guy up. Next up. I'm keeping this guitar player raised, but we're getting a new drummer. Yeah, yeah, that's funny, dude. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So basically, Marcos and I, when we started the podcast. For the listeners, it's called Discussions in Percussion. Um, I don't even have to... Perfect. (laughs) When we started it, it was basically... We were listening to other drum podcasts, and they were all focused on drum set players. And it was all... Give the drummer some. That was one of them. Um, I I, I checked that one out a little bit. I'd hit that. Drummer's resource. Working drummer. Um, The only one that was kind of other than drum set players was at... the, The at symbol percussion they were doing a lot more symphonic and orchestral players yeah um but we were listening to these and we're like there's so many avenues of percussion that are getting neglected so we started going after them first now we don't discriminate against drum set players we have plenty of them on yeah um but we definitely want to make sure that you get the latin guys the asian guys the african guys the orchestral guys the rudimental marching guys the marching the marching arts is a huge, huge area. Overlooked? Yes. Uh-oh. You're going out of order on my list. Oh, well, but let's go to no, your no, list. No, 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 no. No, we're done. No. <laughs> st- go, go down your list. It'll, it'll keep things... No, this, was, this is my fourth organized. point. Percussion, the approach to styles and the, what you just intonated there a little bit. Maybe we should speak to the most basic level listener first for a second. Like, okay. what is percussion? Answer that question. Uh, I define to it as... To a non-musician. I define it as anything you can hit, scratch, or shake. Um, occasionally, you'll have some wind-type instruments like a whistle, but in that whistle, there's still a little object striking the sides to give it the vibrato of the whistle. You know, like yeah. sometimes as a percussion player, you got to be like, "Oh, here's a uh, samba like whistle." The handbone. Well, that's that's still you striking. Handbone, you're still striking. Oh, that's true. I, I always thought of it as a wind, like. <laughs> oh, you mean the the jawbone? Jawbone, jawbone. Well, you're still striking that yeah. with your finger. Oh. Um, but I mean, it basically, you'll you'll again as a percussionist, sometimes you'll get handed something like that, like a slide whistle or something, and it's not technically a percussion instrument. But samba whistle, samba whistle, slide whistle, um, the little mouth siren little thing sometimes you get at like the dentist office is like a toy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah um you know so but anything you can sc- hit scratch or shakes basically 
what a percussion instrument is. Fuck yeah, dude. And I there's like two that. types. There's the idiophones and the membranophones. So it, uh, membranophone has a membrane or like a skin or a head, drum mm-hmm. head. An idiophone is just anything else that's being struck, which is why the piano is also a percussion instrument as well as a string instrument because the hammers are striking the, uh, the, the strings. I was going to say like hitting the back of a guitar. Yeah, that's... Idiophone... It's both, dependent on how you performed on it then, yeah. right, with those definitions? Well, the the striking a guitar would fall, like, closer to what, like, a cajon is. And the word cajon just means, like, coffin or box. Not balls, as often no, that's perceived. That's C-O-J-O-N-E-S. C-O-J-O-N-E-S. Cajon! As opposed to C-A-J-O-N. So there is a difference in spelling. Yeah. Do you ever try to... Right, Cajones. The <laughs> in what instance do you <laughs> wait? I have to actually see it. I'm basically dyslexic, dude. So spell those two again. For okay. Me. So the box that I play. Yeah. C A A J J O O N. Cajon. Cajon. Okay, and then balls. C O J O N. You you can see how a dyslexic man would really. Yes. I, wow. I mean, and if you have poor penmanship, that also <laughs> can help. I write all capitals there. <laughs> oh, all right. But even the cajon started, um, I mean, if you go all the way back, it's the national instrument of Peru. If you go yes, all the way back. Peruvian instrument. Um, it started first, this is debatable, but the, it looks like they would play with harp players. So the percussionist would play on the body of the harp, the wood uh, frame of the harp that was holding the strings. Is this like 18th century, 17th century? How long ago was this? Probably or like, or, like, or like, yeah, probably 1600s. Um, some sort of, you know, there's a video. Pretty modern human history. Like, there's a video on YouTube um, by uh, the guys at Cajon DG, De Gregorio out of Spain. They did a history of the Cajon, and that was. One of the earliest iterations of the cajon, and later it became. I'm gonna, I don't want to butcher this word, but it basically was a flat gourd that they then played on, um, similar to what like a dried pumpkin would be. Mm, interesting, and then later it became like a box that somebody was sitting on, but yeah, I think it goes all I want to say the 1600s, but I'm not sure. No, 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 yeah, I, I you know what, I could say. Definitely after the 1600s into the 1700s because of the Middle Passage and slavery. So the first slaves that were taken out of Africa um, were in the 1500s. And the first ones to take slaves out of Africa were the Portuguese. And they landed in, I want to say, Bahia, Brazil, Mm -hmm. um, which is actually the birthplace of Samba. But they were the first Europeans to come in. And then after that, it kind of spread throughout Europe. Oh, free labor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, now I have two points. One, for the for certain people, the cajon is a popular instrument in New York City that you'll see because it's super portable, right? Which mm-hmm. I think maybe, just so if you see someone playing a box, you're sitting on top of it. That's what we're talking about here. Secondly, you know, I don't know how much I know about this, but the banjo came over on the slave boats. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Like more is, people would stay alive with music 
yeah. the banjo, so they would allow the banjo to come, right? Which is like African. It d- yeah, the a banjo is an African. Yes, the, <laughs> banjo is an African instrument. It depended on um, the conquistadors, the colonizers, which country was uh, was bringing their their slaves over on who kept instruments. Um, wow. So. Some places, the slaves would keep the music alive in their dance steps. Other places, they were actually allowed to use drums. Yeah. Um, but some places, they thought there was going to be like an uprising, and they would smash the drums, like you know, we and, and convert them from what they their African deities to like Catholicism or Christianity. Um, yeah, it's a whole messy. Messy thing. Absolutely messy. We stand on pillars of incompetence, though, so it's good to learn about this stuff and. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> this but, is fascinating. Yeah. Um, actually, so one of the people I just mentioned, Marcos Torres, and myself, and Marcos Lopez, Camila Molina, Jahir Sala, and Weedy Brahma, we got together and we started piecing together what we want to be. Are these all cajon? No, these are just percussionists all in general. All percussionists, okay. Yeah. And we just, uh, we've been trying to put together, uh, ultimately, a docu-series on the history of Latin music because um, well a lot of the elders are dying and the tradition used to be that the information was very secretive and now like some of the elders are actually sharing it so we wanted to document it Um, and uh, um, that was kind of the premise of the the podcast too um, to document history yeah yeah, document history and educate the next generation Um, so we've been trying to do that and it's going to be a long long journey of research and <laughs> you're looking at like a 10-year project there minimum yeah <laughs> but we've been we, we've made some headway on it already just in like trying to um get some help like we've been tracking down like historians and uh, the percussive art society they're going to help us out too with you know any kind of document because they have a lot of stuff percussive wise document uh documented um, the history of percussion specifically, yeah. Yeah, but we do know that it definitely goes outside of that, you know, um, like who played what and where it came from, you know, and yeah. I mean, really, really, dude, this is like a history of music, right? Like, <laughs> And I say that, it sounds stupid, but like, the hit, like it's the first instrument, and then you're going to make a, the ultimate goal would be like a 50 to 90 minute documentary on this well so or a book first or a- originally we were like oh we just need a movie but you can't tell the story in like two hours so then we yeah. started thinking about docu-series um for multiple reasons one because any service that's going to pick it up they're going to make more money with people staying on the platform so a series will keep you on there longer than like a one-off um the other reason <clears throat> was because then we could kind of divide it up so this is not how it will end up being, but this was the thought. Like, okay, let's start with season one of starts with us because we were the first ones to talk about it with each other. And it kind of stemmed with, you know, all of us were kind of, you know, I can I can speak for myself. I was tracing a, a family tree lineage, right? And I remember being in elementary school where they're like, all right, we're gonna do your family tree project. And I'd only be able to go back so far. Mm. You know, like like let's just take my father's side for example. Like he never knew his father, and his mother died when he was four, Ooh. and he was raised by an aunt and a grandmother. You know, and so like right there, the line ends. 
<laughs> with me trace i mean i've been able to trace more and now i've found like relatives that on his side that fought in the civil war um and then you go to my mom's side and part of her lineage her uh father's side came from jamaica and then you go back and you're like okay well now where in jamaica because the bahamas were one of the largest slave imports and uh, ghana there's a place called the point of no return where that was one of the largest slave exports. So it's like in there between Ghana and and the Bahamas how how far back or where does it get lost? You know, it's like what tribe am I from? I have no idea. But I had Caucasian friends that were like, "Oh yeah, you know, I'm related to this lord who's record who's related to this king of England." It's like it's all oh. documented. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like I'm jealous. So and then talking to these other guys, they all had similar stories. And they're like, well, you know, not only personally, but musically, like every country has their version of the conga drum or yeah. their version of the tambourine. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, how did this evolve? And even the clave is different depending on which region you're in. It's like, well, how did this evolve? Where did it come from? Who are the people that are responsible for this? So that's kind of what sparked our interest. I like that because I always say every culture has its own version of the dumpling. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and when you were telling the story, it starts with us. I pictured the the David Chang show, Ugly Delicious, where it's that little he has that little crew, and then it like moves outside of that. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I literally, literally saw you guys sitting around a table eating dumplings, be like percussion. But really, maybe be <laughs> a studio would be more <laughs> a more appropriate spot. You know, well, I, mean, I mean, we just put microphones around a table, and then it becomes a studio. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's fascinating. So usually my last question is, what's the future of Damon Grant? That clearly you're answering. You're going like backwards in my list, but it's fine. We're okay. going to get there. Right. Yo, so that's that's a massive undertaking. Yeah, and it's a lot, it's been a lot of reading. Like we have a lot of books that we've been reading that other people have been doing research already. And they're like, well, this is my chunk of research. Like cats who are getting their PhD in the history of percussion? Or just because this sounds this sounds legitimately like a thesis project, like seven years of just research and then two years of actually putting it into a package, a consumable package. Yeah. Well, it's just you know, um, like the history of Latin music, and it's like okay, well, you know, there's documentaries out there already um, that have touched upon it and done a little corner of it. And do they focus on like the composers or the performers? um, Both. They 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 kind of. It depends on which one you're, you're you're watching. Like some are just the performance. Like here, we're just capturing the performance. Others are this person is responsible for this style of music, and this is where they went and how they got there. Um, and then there's others that are just talking about the birth of humans. Like the BBC did one on Africa, and they were documenting like the first humanoids. And um, so they're going like thirty thousand <laughs> years ago, forty, fifty thousand years ago. Sure. <laughs> well, I well, I'm always so fascinated with this. Like that era of history, pre, you know, pre civilization, we call it pre ten thousand years ago, right? Mm-hmm. It's like so fucking interesting to me. Yeah. Well, it was, I was why this is why I was watching. I was like, yeah, I wonder no, where did this come check from? Check this out. Yeah, yeah. And they were starting in Africa. Um, yeah. And the cool thing, one of the historians that was on there um, pointed out the fact that they were trying to decide what the difference between. Uh, humans as mammals and every other animal on this planet what separates us yes what is the difference and And what were their takes well at first everybody thought it was tools we use tools we We make tools tools, we use tools but you look at like seagulls 
they fly up in the air with the oyster and they drop it on the rocks so it'll crack open and then they go eat it that's using even though they don't have hands they're using a tool chimpanzees were seen with rocks and sticks using them as tools so they're like they ruled it out it's not tools uh the only other thing aside from like communication whatever the only other thing um was art we are the only species that creates art for uh consumption and pleasure yeah that's what they came to the conclusion? That is the only oh, thing. I thought it was like biologically like we could throw shit really fast and we could run for a long time. No, because we hunt can, as packs. No, because you can find animals that do all of those. That, who can throw? Who can throw? Uh, apes. No, no, no. They're, we can like throw really fast. Like our spear throwing shit. There's something in the way our, dude, we're. <laughs> but still. <laughs> but, right? Like, uh, there's something in our. Like the rotator cuff? Yeah, like how we can throw. A, like they can't throw past. But, you, is, but you're, you're splitting hairs because they're still using that as a, as a tool. Do you know what I mean? Like, even though, like, the way that we use it. Fair is, enough. Like, it's not the way that we use it, it's the fact that we do use it because you can find other animals that do use things like that. Um, in that book, I read Born to Run by Christopher, I believe it's McCandless. He talks about like why we have no hair and because we could sweat and we run bipedally. And so we <laughs> can run. We could chase down a tiger in eight hours mm. in a crew of humans. And that's what where we started to get the protein overload. Mm. Chase that fucker down. <laughs> stone it to death. Uh, this is all fascinating. I'm fascinated. And you know, Damon, when you, you started talking about your family tree and like all this, it's like, uh, it's just some grown man shit, right? Like <laughs> all of a sudden you're like, I'm old, but I'm really fascinated by this. Cause I likewise, like starting the podcast project, I was like, wait a second, I'm recording history. I recorded my father. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Kind of what you're talking about. Talking about, I was like, you tell me the stories I want to record this shit. You know, like what? Tell me how, who, blah, blah, blah. And I think he got so much of it wrong, mm-hmm. too. <laughs> you know, like so to go back and do an undertaking of that—that that is that project stresses me out. That's an incredible concept that you're going to undertake a documentary series. Here's yeah. another side one. When you finish that, I always thought, do you know any cool piano tuners? Uh, yeah, there's a guy in Connecticut I know. He, he's great. He's like an old guy. No, no, he's younger. He's like our age. Oh, see, I'm like these old piano tuner guys. I feel like they're a population also dying off. Yeah. And I think we should capture them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, And there is young cats. Like the Steinway Factory is right up there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and to call and get the piano tuned, it was I was always like these fucking aliens would come here, you know, like old Russian dudes. <laughs> and they're, you know, telling these stories. I'm like, this motherfucker has stories for days. Like, so. All right. Well, God damn it. Oh, God damn. So here, let's go. Here's my, here's my first. <laughs> Can I just pause for a second and just say, I'm very, very proud to see you doing this podcast because I remember when you messaged me, you're like, hey, man, I'm thinking about doing a podcast. What do I do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now to see it's like a whole operation, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very pleased. Oh, dude. Thank you for guidance and uh, inspiration. You're, you're, dude, my podcast is like a little 
drop in the in the well. You're like you're you're doing an undertaking. This is just like a comedic <laughs> performance. You know, it's performative. <laughs> I think like mine is more like a like a drug. Like I started it thinking it'd be fun, and, and now, now you're addicted to it, right? Well, I wouldn't. I mean, like I do it. It's it is still fun, but there are parts of it that are like kind of annoying. The same way I'm, I I don't do drugs, but I assume that chasing that high, there are parts of the drug that are kind of annoying well of course well i just read another book about addiction so that's interesting these are interesting concepts because part of what can really make something addicting is you keep doing the same thing and you get different results right so buying cocaine on the street Mm -hmm. or heroin you never know what you're going to get and that works to an addict's disadvantage right where like the the rat that comes in hits the lever, mm-hmm. if they don't know what they're going to get each time, if sometimes no drug comes out or a little bit of drug or a lot of drug, that's what gets them addicted. If it's a known quantity, mm-hmm. if you get the same, if the rat hits the thing, they get the same drug every time, they have less of a chance of getting addicted. And that relates to podcasting because you never know how good these are going to go. As much as you prepare right. the vibe, you know, what your energy you're bringing in, there's like such a, that's such a m- m- minefield of things that could the scheduling Sabotage. aspect is just uh, if i could just have somebody that schedules them is like hey on wednesday you're gonna interview this guy at three o'clock i'd be like thank you and then i'll do my homework and be prepared or the show notes is another thing that really i we started the show notes as a help because we'd be listening to these podcasts and then so much cool shit gets dropped we're driving or working out or whatever and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, man, I got to remember the time code so I can rewind and get that information. But then we're like, you know, we're going to put it in the show notes so that they can just go and be like, oh, that's what they were talking about. Hyperlink. Click. And now I'm like, man, I feel like I'm doing a book report every week. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> so if I, like, if I could just have somebody like, help handle the show notes and the scheduling, that would make my, my life a whole lot easier. Well, dude, I always say that we graduate with from college and no one fucking tells you when you're going to be an independent contractor that you have to do your own scheduling. Ugh. That's still the hardest part of our gig. I would say 70% of my life is scheduling things and watching blue progress bars complete. Dude... Everybody wants to schedule shit at the same time, too. This time <laughs> of year is a fucking nightmare, dude. Like... Send you the Doodle app, and they're like, "Ooh, tell you." And you're like, "Dude, <laughs> sometimes it doesn't work." See, I'm, I'm, I'm like a dinosaur. I have an old paper calendar. I do too, bro. That I can see the whole month. No, 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 man. I'm still paper too. The week, the weekly calendar. If you look at the week one, when you turn the page, you're like, "Oh no, it's Monday again." And 2021, 22, I'm holding up my yeah, <laughs> dude. I can't quit the paper, dude. The whole, I, but I have one. It's like eight and a half by eleven. I can open it up. I see the whole month, and I can just, I can plan accordingly. But I'm saying, like, you, I'm sure cats hit you up all the time. Last minute, House Tuesday at 11. And you're yes. like, dude, are you kidding me? No way. Like, another thing, I, I, I don't want people to get the wrong impression. Um, over my tutelage, I've learned how to learn music extremely quickly. Yes, we have to. That's part of our success is based on that. And I attribute that to um, this drum corps that I was in called the Cadets. Um, they used to make a lot of, they were known for making changes 
and you know surprising the audience and the judges with like oh we saw them a week ago and now all of a sudden this thing's different yeah and we'd make you know changes and we'd have to learn stuff like immediately it was like okay we're rehearsing it at noon it's going in the show tonight let's run this thing and so i got really then you run it like a lot yeah but hyper focused like focused yes two hours or whatever yeah yeah so i got really good at learning music extremely quickly and then committing it to memory and being able to execute it so people have found that out <laughs> and they will call me the last minute to no, check it out well yeah they're like hey can you do this gig it's in like a couple hours i it's like 40 tunes but i know you i mean i know you i know you can get it and i'm like i know i can but it's just a lot more comfortable for me to have time to prepare oh yeah even though i know that if like for example the after party um shout out to ryan vaughn yeah okay (laughs) friend of your show um he he would call me and be like hey man oh i know what it was i was he had me sign up to do the drum set stuff i was one of the drum set players yeah of many so it was like you learn two tunes and that's it and then all of a sudden he's like beautiful yeah then he's like He's Everybody's like, bailing, yeah. Well, he was like, hey, uh, I know you're playing drum set on these two tunes, but this tune could really use like some congas. And this tune has like a really iconic tambourine track or whatever. It was like, okay. So I'd start to learn that. And he's, then he'd be like, oh, wait, there's this one other tune. It's like a shaker part. It's like really, it's like the thing. Like, oh, okay. You know what? Just just send me the list. And it'd be like 50 tunes or whatever. And there's percussion on all of them. So I just stopped. I was like, stop giving me drum set tunes. That's not my forte to begin with. Yeah. Just give me the list of tunes. <laughs> I'll do the percussion stuff. And then so I would get the tunes from like him or J9, Janine, uh, you know, with Monday after parties on a Monday, I'd get him like Saturday night, Sunday afternoon. Like, here's the tunes. And I'm like, mother. <laughs> and yeah. I would learn them all because I didn't want to let anybody down. And that's kind of the, you know, the fun of it is to like, do what's on the record, but high stress situation. Well, dude, number one, I told Debo and my soul brother, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to hang with Damon tomorrow. He's like, the guy who does percussion at the after party knows all those tunes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's you. <laughs> well, um, I, I just listened to the record and I play what's on the record un- oh, until... Dude, that's its own art, though. But I'm, Well, until I'm given the green light, like, hey, you can do something, you can deviate away from that, but... My bare minimum is, I'm just going to play what's on the record. Yeah. All right, dude. Here we go. Ready? First thing. What's your hot take on the Spotify wrapped? <laughs> I mean, it is. it was the Beatles was what everybody was talking about, and now Spotify wrapped. Yeah. So I... <laughs> do you have a hot take? Yeah, the, 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 the five greatest rappers of all time are Dylon, 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 and Dylon. And if you if you don't know what that is, uh, we, we can't be friends. Oh! Did you ever watch Diddy's Making the Band? I watched a few episodes of it. Yes. Okay. Well, there was a there was a a guy that had a little bit of a patois accent, mm-hmm. and his name was Dylan, pronounced Dylon. Dylon. And he got into an an incident with Diddy and Wyclef, <laughs> and that was. One of it, and then Dave Chappelle made fun of it later on his show. But okay, um, what do I think about Spotify Wrapped? Um, I think that um, they're taking stalking people 
and making it into a cool social media thing. <laughs> I mean, first of all, it was an idea from an intern that they stole after she let got let go or she ended her internship. It was like at the end of her internship and she was like, Hey, this is a cool thing. And they're like, yeah, 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 whatever. And then she left and they're like exploiting it and making, you know, obviously making something off of it. And the owner, Daniel Eck, he, I think, what does he have? Like $3 billion billion or something. Yeah. And he is, he doesn't play any instruments. He's never written a song. He's never collaborated, but all the art, he's like a vulture. All the artists that, create the art are making shillings compared to him. And he's making all this profit where he would not make this profit without the artists. Like he is a parasite. He could not survive without. So how do I feel? Um, I feel that when streaming popped up back with Napster, um, instead of punishing Napster, they should have realized that that was the future and learned how to cultivate and work with streaming services so that artists could get paid for their fair share. Yeah. But I mean, back to humans creating art, like artists have always been taken advantage since the inception of art. <clears throat> and, uh, I'm sorry, I'm on a little soapbox right here. No, you're good. You're good. Um, That's the point of a podcast. <laughs> there's an organization called be an arts hero. Uh-huh. Uh, they're a grassroots organization and they're pushing to have a cabinet level position for the arts and culture in the United States. The same way that other, countries around the world have a minister of the arts or a minister of the culture, whatever. So um, it started during the pandemic when everybody's not working and they've been pushing since then. And um, I've been, I had uh, Matthew Lee Erlbach who played drums at one point and he's also an actor mm-hmm. on my podcast. And we went through like all of the things that are out there for artists to help them. What is there to document the art person, uh, uh, preserve it and um, cultivate it for the future. Um, but definitely, if you can, at the very minimum, check out Beat and Arts Hero um, so that we can have you know fair laws and regulations. Like there's the Artist Rights Alliance who came out. They have an Artist Bill of Rights that they're trying to enact. Um, but yeah, so that people like Daniel Eck can only make a certain percentage from the artists and the artist makes the bulk of it. So how do I feel? Uh, I mean, my Spotify rap was kind of off kilter because I use Spotify when my students are learning tunes or yeah, if I yeah, get yeah. like the it's list of tunes. For us. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, learn these tunes for this whatever, you know, or a wedding or whatever. Then you have to listen to them on Spotify. So now Spotify is like, oh, you like September by Earth, Wind and Fire that <laughs> yeah. much? Yeah. Like, no, I just had to make sure that the bongo part was right. Yeah. No, no, no. That's... Mike is so fucking way off, dude. Yeah. yeah. I think my number one artist for the decade is Frank Sinatra because that's dinner music that I play <laughs> when I leave. Yeah, my take, dude, like, <clears throat> I, of course, echo all the things you just said. But to me, this is an incredible social media phenomenon that it's just Spotify's victory lap. Like, I feel like a fucking pawn <laughs> that we're even talking about this. And I see friends like, who cares? Spotify won. It's not Tidal. It's not Apple Music. It's not Deezer. It's not Amazon. This is like they're fucking, they're playing all of us. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I just, good for them. I can't believe it becomes a discussion piece, quite frankly. Yeah. Someone, the first person to post it, and then everybody had to, the sheeple did. It was like, oh my God, dude. Yeah. What, it was that tweet is like, uh, uh, we're tracking you, but make it fun. <laughs> exactly. Uh 
it's it's Spotify won the streaming game. This is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> this is what it says to me. Have you ever you do you use any of the other ones? Uh, no, I still haven't opened my Apple Music free trial um, because Spotify. The advantage that they had at the beginning was number one, they're first. Yep. R- wrong. I'm sorry. Napster was the first, but they punished Napster like one specific weed in the garden, as opposed to saying, "Oh wait, we might have other weeds pop up, so we need to figure out how to treat this garden." You know what I mean? Yeah. So I guess in the modern era, Spotify came out first, which if you read any marketing book, rule one is just be first. Um, you know, you think about all the things that you call that are that were first. Ziploc bags instead of cellophane bags. Give me a Xerox. And, Kleenex. Yeah. Yeah. All of that stuff. So that's rule one of like marketing is just be first. And then the fact is they had the playlists to keep people how are they going to keep people involved? And it's like playlist creation. And so now I like, I'm guilty of it. I've, I've made playlists. I have a, a, hundreds of playlists. Dude. And then I have friends that I know I trust that will make a good playlist. And it's like, Oh, and then, yeah, then there was the, the monetary thing. Like, well, if you're on, if I'm on your playlist and you've shared something, then that's like a bump in the uh, social media algorithm to be like, Oh yeah, this song's kind of important. Cause he shared it. You know, and then if um, there's playlist people that are kind of uh, influencers in the playlist world, and if they share your song, all of a sudden now it's a bigger blow up real quick. Yeah. But then the next level is that major labels have playlists, but they're not under the you know like a Sony Music playlist isn't under the name Sony Music; it's under some other name. But then if you know Spotify knows on the backside of things like oh well if Sony Music shared this song then that must really mean it's important and then the highest level of the hierarchy are the Spotify official playlists and yes so you get more notoriety and more spins and ultimately more royalties or whatever yes I've known an artist who got on a Spotify one and their career just skyrocketed mm-hmm. shout out to people like um, Charles Alexander I think he's in Nashville he's um, taking the time to figure out the algorithms and cultivate relationships with different playlisters. And he has a, he started a company where he will help you manage your playlisting situation. And, uh, um, yeah, I'm sure if you go to like YouTube and you type in Charles Alexander, Spotify, there'll be some videos of him explaining the algorithms and the, all that stuff. If you're interested, if you're listening and you're interested in, um, upping your Spotify playlist game. Which I think everybody is, but yeah, a lot of people are. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I see this. This is, people posting their raps like makes me not even more. <laughs> I'm like, ah, <laughs> dude, that's lame. But it's, it's similar to like another but, social media thing. Like, like the way you had to figure out, oh, well now TikTok is out. I got to figure that out. Like if you really want to try and make money off of Spotify, you have to take the time and figure it out. You got to put the time into it. Yeah. And, and I've just kind of given up. I know where I'm going to make my money. It's not off of Spotify. <laughs> Likewise. Yeah, I agree. Spotify wrapped. Dude, so, Damon. Mm-hmm. We got it on tape. I have been sober since December 31st. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. We're coming up you. on a year. Coming up on my year. Big year. Yeah. And well, uh, as somebody who's always been sober, I can say congratulations. And what are your top three... Um, Non-alcoholic drinks. I'll give you mine after. 
top three non-alcoholic drinks. Now, so I'm, I feel new to this. I water, feel like Ichabod Crane. So water's a given. You, if I'm going out to the bar, mm-hmm. now what do I order? Yeah, because that's somebody something people always ask me. They're like, well, you don't drink. What, what do you, you get at a bar? Yeah. It's like, all right. <laughs> I do investigate the, the mocktail scene. Okay. If Sometimes I'll do the Cran Seltzer Lime. Mm. Which like looks fucking fancy. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh, he's drinking some shit. Seltzer strong, and then so I've redeveloped a love affair with um, Coca Cola, a straight fucking Coke, American or Mexican. Well, of course, preferably Mexican. But Real sugar, yeah. Oh, going back to your rats for a second with the the addiction thing. There, I forget what it was, but there was a uh, there was a whole science done on lab rats oh with coke which was more addictive sugar or coke and they gave them coke they got them addicted to coke and then they introduced sugar and then the rats didn't want to go back to coke interesting recent this is a new one because it's an old one the coke has um high fructose corn syrup in it now oh so yeah this was an old uh experiment that he did with the was it the control and the experimental group yeah 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 (laughs) shout out to eighth grade science what are your top three non-alcoholic Drinks. That's from a, a bar. Question. So from a bar. Yeah. yeah. So or number like one. Out to dinner. Uh, number one. I just I really love pineapple juice, um, and I know that they have that at a bar for mixed drinks. So I'll yeah. do pineapple juice. Um, number two is a Cape Cotter without the alcohol, which is cranberry juice and ginger ale. But I actually prefer ginger beer, which is more of like an island thing. Gosling's makes a really good oh, ginger beer. Ginger beer is the best. They're yes. the official ginger beer of the Darkest Army. Um, so yeah, cranberry and ginger ale is number two, but I like that or cranberry ginger beer. If you have it, get that. That's real. That's yeah, that's strong. And then, and and a ginger cranberry is known as a Cape Cotter. I think it has vodka too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, those three. And then, uh, or sometimes you'll see the ginger beer in a Moscow mule too. Yes. Um, but, uh, the third one is, uh, orange juice and Sprite, which is like an orangina. Orange juice and Sprite. Yeah, that would be good, too. But if they do have a really good mocktail situation, I will definitely experiment that. And in the fizzy water area, Topo Chico, I feel, is, is, is greater than Perrier. But yes. there are some people that may not agree with me on that. Well, that is a debatable one. I do the Topo Chico twist of lime. That's, oh, my, that's my jam. That's a the jump off, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I was... Um, so I had experimented with some sober months, mm-hmm. and then I did a sober January last month, and then I was talking to Jeff Tui. Mm. I was like, you know what? I'm going to drink this weekend. I'm going away. And he's like, no, no, don't. If you're doing a thing, do a thing. Be sober for the whole month. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was my Tui impression. I think he's on the sober train, too. I, he's he's always dabbling with it. No, uh, I, I just saw him. This uh, month, right? Yeah, I just saw him for a gig not too long ago. in Concrete Jungle. That is correct. And... Um, he, uh, <laughs> yeah, he was like, dude, I'm, I'm, I think he was like 30 days in or something. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. Man, go for it. Yeah. So I always say like, he really like actually helped focus me. And then I read a bunch of books about it. Blackout by Sarah Hopola. And then this book called quit like a woman by Holly Whitaker, which is really a modern take on sobriety. But how, how did you get into the- this or be into this or like? Uh, decide I, on this. I had uh, alcoholism and substance abuse on both sides of my family. And yeah. I just kind of made it a choice at an early age. I remember my dad just, he, um, for a while, he worked at uh, CBS Records for Dr. Peter Goldmark, mm-hmm. who is the guy that invented. So back in the day, 
he invented the 33 and a third record. But back in the day, the like CBS, NBC, ABC, they would hire scientists to come out with the next thing, mm-hmm. whether it was like uh, the color TV or AM, FM radio, whatever. They're, they're hiring scientists to create the next thing. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Peter Goldmark created the 33 and a third size record. And he was working for CBS at the time. And my dad ended up working for him. And he got, he DJed for a little while and he got to watch um, the downfall of jazz musicians. Yeah. And so he, when I told him that I was going to music, that was one of the things he's like, I need to protect you. You know, he used to say, you got to practice and stay away from the substances so you don't end up on the Chitlin circuit. <laughs> Which, if you don't know what the Chitlin circuit is, uh, that was portrayed a little bit in the movie Ray. It's It was a circuit that went down south um, through segregated performance halls. Um, it was not very promising uh, for lucrative purposes and, and just... In, in the segregation area era and Jim Crow laws, it was just not not the best uh, profession choice to, to wind up on that circuit. You want to get to the integrated houses or be able to play for white rooms if you, you know, and yeah. So that was one thing that, uh, you know, just I made the choice. Like, I don't. So want your to father told you this early on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was like, how I old are you? How old was I? Yeah. When he, I mean, I think. Like a, no, no, no. I mean, it wasn't like elementary school. It was definitely like middle school. When you said I want to be a musician, he said that's great. You better practice. And no, stay first sober. he tried to discourage me for a while. He's like, you need to have a secure profession. That I've seen enough people crash and burn. What and age did you proclaim this to him? That I was going to be a musician. Yeah, because this is always this is this is these. It was probably my first paid gig. I was a sophomore in high school. Um. And the jazz combo, we went over to play at the Knights of Columbus for like some banquet. And it was like for the Knights of Columbus, it was like, oh, we're getting the Norwalk High School jazz combo to come play. And um, we got each got paid 50 bucks. Yeah, dude. And it was a steak. I remember steak, potatoes, probably some vegetable. And I came home and I was like, mom, I got paid $50 and a steak dinner to... Play, play music. Play music. I'm not going to math class tomorrow. <laughs> She's like, what? Boy, if you don't go to your homework. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you better go study. Yeah. yeah. So it was official sophomore in high school, and I was like, I can make money doing this, and they're going to feed me. Yeah. Because um, back then, a steak? Forget about it. Dude. Yeah. yeah you're so, but And then, so like I said, my dad would try and steer me in other directions, but he realized I just wasn't going to. He had, f- like, First-hand information, full-time knowledge of the music business, the absolute pitfalls of it. Yeah, so he's like, yeah. I mean, he he ended up doing like labor relations and human resources and contract negotiation. My mom, my grandmother, and my great grandmother, all on my mom's side, were all in the medical field. They all, um, like, my mom's an epidemiologist. Mm-hmm. You know, like they they had stable steady paychecks that they knew were coming on this day and it was mm-hmm. going to be for x amount of dollars <laughs> and good good like benefits and helping humanity jobs practical yeah. jobs that we'll need in a pandemic or whatever yeah exactly and here i am i'm like i'm going to go play music <laughs> and they're like what yeah. yeah and they're both educated they both had masters degrees you know Ooh, like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so uh, that was fun like wearing them down 
to eventually they just like, all right, well, if you're going to do it, then we got to make sure you're protected. Yeah. But yeah. So anyway, I, Dad's I made the choice sober, or you came from an internal place of like, I think I'm going to stay away from this. Yeah. I was like, I just saw like, you know, enough people that, you know, were deteriorated from it or just had issues with it. And even in my own family. And I was like, eh, I'm okay with it, you know, and there's plenty of stuff that I like that tastes great that doesn't have alcohol in it, you know? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I like sparkling cider and <laughs> there's a drink I drink on New Year's is toast T O with the umlauten S T. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, there's, I just found a, an alcohol free sangria that tastes delicious. You know, I'm like, all right, I can, you know, I'm going to be okay. I feel like, um, you know, the capitalistic world that we live in is kind of stepping into sobriety right now, too. Like, they could see a dollar here. You know what I mean? This is not my original thoughts. This is kind of Holly Whitaker's thing. But, like, yeah, they're like, all right, now we're going to sell all the sober stuff because people think this is cool now. You yeah. know, like, so it's kind of fun to see it from a different place. But that's, I mean, that is a big decision as a young man to make. If Motley Crue could have been sober... And still make successful music, then I can do it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Do you read the dirt? No, and it, then then it became a show. That's and everybody was, talks so highly of this one. The, well, I mean, and like everybody would say, yeah, the book is better. The book is I'm definitely sure the book is always better. Yeah, it's a lot more graphic and detailed, and uh, yeah, it's just yeah, it's great. The dirt. I will read it. That is on my list, and I also heard that the Sammy Hagar one is one of the best. I do like autobiographies. Um, and what I realized when I was reading the dirt and then got introduced to other autobiographies, they were being, uh, co-written or, or put together by the same person. That was Neil Strauss. Yes. He's a big dog in that world. Yes. Yeah. So then I just started reading what he wrote. I was like, well, let me just go to the source. And yeah, yeah. there's a book he wrote called everyone loves you when you're dead. And it's just a collection of snippets from interviews he's done through from the New York Times or Rolling Stone or whatever and they're just really great but the cool thing is that they're snippets so you know there might be like a chapter where it's like this is the first time of three times that I was trying to interview Pharrell and it's like this little snippet and then you go to any interviews Britney Spears and Chuck Berry and then it'll suddenly comes back and he's like this is the second time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to interview Pharrell and then you know it goes so it's really cool then he's interviewing like um uh, Dave Navarro, mm -hmm. and I think at the same time, who's the who's the actress? I think it's Cher. It might have been Cher who was the house on um, the the PCH. I think it's Cher's house. Anyway, he was like interviewing Dave Navarro, and that yes. snippet's in there. And then all of a sudden, it segues to he gets a phone call from Cher, and then it transitions to like Cher's snippet. And it's like really cool. So anyway, oh, it's a, it's like a uniquely put to people love you when you're dead. Yeah, everyone loves you. Everyone loves you. Dead. I do know Neil Strauss, and I like his work. I yeah. haven't gone. My musician biography phase happened years ago. I'm probably on a cycle for it because it's. I've been reading other stuff lately, but the Dirt and then the Sammy Hagar one. Okay, I heard. I heard the Sammy Hagar ones because he was really like a down and out working musician. Then came to the top, so he had, could really appreciate it. I haven't read it. I'm gonna read it. These are on my list. Okay. Uh, so, Bridie, good for you. It's it's good to be here. It's good to be here. Seth Honorchek always says, "We're happy to have you, bud. We'll take we'll take you all in the club." And it's been what's also been interesting, David, too, is Drew McEwen reaching out, just being like, "Hey, if you ever want to talk, I'm here for you. Check out these things." 
And then the kind of this secret community that like reveals itself, you know, <laughs> Caleb Holly, Seth Ondercheck, Constantine Maroulis. I can't, um, I can't speak for the other people because I don't know them as well as I know Drew, but I do know that Drew is one of the kindest. I like how I like, I said his name and then the dog stopped barking and the, and the leaf blower stopped. <laughs> it's like Drew McKeon. Silence. <laughs> uh, Drew McKeon is one of the kindest, most giving individuals I've ever met. Um, he has a phenomenal fashion sense to the oh, point. Dude, he's gorgeous. With the point to the point where half the time I'll look at it and I don't know if what he's wearing was intended for a male or female. He gender bends, yeah. He can pull it off. He looks. He always looks awesome. But I do know that um, this is not my story to tell. Yeah. But he has had to deal with people around him that have had issues with substances. So I know how understanding he can be about it and how much he's dealt with. So I know how strong he is. So he is definitely someone, a good person to lean on if you need him. Dude, it's funny what one little Instagram message can do too. Like, Hey, just hope, just checking in. Just hope you're good. Or like he saw me, he's like, you look fucking great. I'm like (laughs) beaming. Yeah. I was like, I do. I look great. Drew told me, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like it's this new skincare routine I have. (laughs) It's like, dude, Oh God, I didn't drink. 17 beers the past week, you know? So, yes, they're the cats. All right, let's see. Good. Next point on here that you've already touched on and we touched on a little bit. And under this one, because I know you know about this stuff, but this is my marketing. Yes, use professional marketing promotion agents or nah. I have pro or nah. (laughs) And I think you lean nah because you can do all these things. You're self-motivated and yourself you can self-educate and you're fucking a work whipper but what just your take thoughts comments on well that's a fucking huge question david i understand take no, no, it wherever cool. you want i do know that um i i'm a virgo for whatever that means mm-hmm. um ryan vaughn and i actually our birthdays are like two days apart interesting i um, didn't know that that's interesting i, I will say that i don't I'm not like one of those LA types where like I'm deep in this astrology and I'm like, well, I'm feeling off today because Mercury's and Venus's moon. I don't know any of that stuff. Okay, fair. I just go by what people have told me. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, you're a Virgo. So that means you probably are this way. Now, I do know (laughs) that. (laughs) That was a good take. You're like, they tell me it enough. I'm like, okay, yeah. Yeah. Well, I do know that like. I have a high level for attention to detail, yeah. which I think helps me when I'm like learning music. I'm like, oh, well, I should, you know, this is what's on the record. I'm going to learn that, you know. Um, and I do, I'm like a huge history and science nerd. So I do like to research things, but I'm different than other people. So for me, at first, I was hiring other people. But then in my head, I was like, well, nobody's going to shout out to a friend, Colin McNutt. He's a great uh, percussionist and percussion writer and arranger. His last name is McNutt? Yes. You're fucking with me. Dead serious. Colin that's McNutt. not his nickname? Nope. That's his name. He's from Barnstable, Massachusetts. Do you call him McNutts? Uh, I call him in my in my phone. He's as Sea uh, Dog McNuttenstein. <laughs> dude, dude, what a... What he must be cool because he had a lifetime of being called McNutt. Like, yeah. 
He's one of the smartest I'm individuals sure. I know. Like he went to school uh, for the classics, like the Iliad, the Odyssey, which is what we all should study, right? Yeah. And then he went back and got another degree in music education. Damn. So he came up to me one day and was like, "Damon, no one is going to believe in you or pursue your best interests." more than you. Yes. So at first, when I was starting out, I was like, all right, I need to hire a team that's going to help me. And then I realized I could just do this myself and do it better. Yep. Um, like as far as like managing my career and making smart choices. So it came to the point where I just would like, I like to research things. Um, and I was, my second album called Prevailing Melodies, if anyone mm-hmm. feels like. I mean... I'm going to set this all up in the precursor. Oh, hey. Um, so if anyone feels like listening to that, when I was doing that one, I was like, all right, I'm making... The whole point of that album was to help me get better gigs. Um, I was talking to a friend and also a mentor, um, this guy named David Ryan Harris. Yes, who's a celebrity. Okay. And, In my mind, right? Isn't he? I mean, he, he to me, he's he's like a mentor and an older brother, and I can go to him for. He feels like a celeb to me, like career yeah. advice and life choices. Yes, he's a good north star to have. He's one of them. He's one of the people that I can like lean on and be like, "Hey, man, am I making the right decision?" Yeah. You know, another one for me like that is uh, Stefan Harris. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so David, I went to him and I was like, "Hey." I would like to do more pop gigs. How do I get there? You know, I'm doing this currently. How do I make that transition? And he said, well, first is you got to find out, you know, who's booking those gigs and who's doing them. And then how are you going to present yourself to the people that are booking them? Like, where can they listen to you? Where can they see what you do? And I was like, oh, you can go to this link and this link and that link. He's like, no, no, no. Nobody's going to go. Go put it all in one place. He's like, why don't you just make an album? This is this is back in 2013, 20, leaning into 2014. 2014 is when I recorded it. 2015 is when I released it. So it had to be 2013 that he was like having this conversation with me. Yeah. And um, I was like, all right, well, if I make this album... I don't want to be a band. You know, he's like, no, no, no. Just use it as like an audible business card. Mm-hmm. He's like, put all the stuff that you've written and recorded in one place. So we talked about that. And he was like, well, if you're a percussionist, you're not the front person. Take the advantage of doing what like Herbie Hancock does or Santana, where they'll have a great rhythm section and then they'll feature a different front person. And then the music will take on the life of that front person that also show your versatility. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Oh, cool. So we did that. We put together a rhythm section and then we feature different vocalists on each track. And the track kind of, if you listen to that track, it kind of leans towards more of what that vocalist specializes in a hundred percent. And then he's like, okay, so now you have this audible business card. So then I was like, all right, well, I'm going to have to put this out into the world. So I started checking out uh, CD baby Mm-hmm. They have that a, was when CD was king. Yes, twenty fifteen. They have a blog, and that's the CD Baby DIY Musician blog. So when I was typing into Google, like searching what the next steps should be, mm-hmm. it would always be like something, and then a blog post by this CD Baby guy. And I was like, well, who is this guy? Who is this motherfucker? Yeah, Chris Robley. He's in Maine, Portland, Maine. He's a 
um, one of the, he curates the blog, and he also was on their podcast um, with Kevin Bruner. And so I was like, okay, let me go to this blog. And it seemed like every career next step was there was a blog post that Chris Robley was putting up. And I was like, oh, this guy's guy's a guru. So then they have a CD Baby DIY musician conference. And I was like, I'm going to it. I don't even care. I don't know when it is or how much it costs. I'm going. And at that conference, it was like, all right, this is the next steps, like how to release an album, how to uh, market that album. Don't forget about the artwork. Like that was one thing that I learned. It was like everybody always puts all their money into the music making and then they forget about the artwork. And nowadays when people listen with their eyes, like the the image has to be just as captivating as the music. Mm-hmm. So save some money for that. And then it was like, what what's PR? You know, obviously it's a, a need that you have to promote it, but do you have to pay all this money for it? And you know, most things, like you go to Amazon and you buy like an ice scraper and it doesn't work. You send it back and get your money back. With like PR, they send out to like all these magazines to get you reviewed and stuff. And and if it doesn't work, you can't be like, well, they didn't pick it up. Can I have my money back? Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, so it's I go on money. Yeah. I started researching like the next steps. And that was the mark. One of the things was marketing. There was a book, The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing, written by these two guys from Greenwich, Connecticut that consult for fortune 500 companies and that was huge and then i just started researching that was a book for general business correct and you read the book and then you were like this is fucking brilliant yeah so then i was like all right well i need to get more information so um at the time ari herstand was writing a book ari's take that guy well yeah he has that blog ari's take and he also was sometimes a contributor for the digital music news website uh, but he was writing a book. It's now out. He's currently finishing up the third edition. Um, but I bought the first edition. And then when he came out with the second edition, I gifted the first edition to a friend. And I bought the second edition. And now I'm going to do the same thing when the third edition comes. Because he keeps updating it for streaming and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but the book is um, How to Make It in the New Music Business uh, by Ari Herstand. That was another one that was really good. Um, he the, has interesting takes. He makes you think about stuff. Yeah. Similar to Lefsitz. I still read Lefsitz. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was just, and I just started collecting all these books about music and music business and reading them. And it was so that I can make the right decisions. Um, others were just um, like Brainfluence, which is like the science behind marketing, um, you know, like the ADA sales funnel, uh, awareness, interest, decision action something mm-hmm. like that it's a it's a funnel right so you, you start with the widest part you getting awareness to people and then next level of the funnel that's a little smaller is how many people can you get interested in and then the next one is the decision like okay get them to make a decision and then the last one is the action of actually purchasing it or whatever um so it was just like reading all this stuff and at the time i was uh re- writing and recording for this album i also needed more money. I had done pledge music, which I think might be a bad word these days. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All of those sites are always, yeah. Um, I was doing pledge music before it went bad and, um, they, uh, they were like, Hey, based on your followers on social media, we think you can raise, I don't even know. It was like $5,000. I was like, there's no way I'll be able to do this with just five. And they're like, I will right, we'll move you up to eight. And I was like, I need at least 15. And they're like, we don't think you'll get that much. We'll give you 12. And I was like, eh, I still. So 
we ended up on a number. It wasn't 15, but it was definitely more than 12. Yeah. And um, I surpassed it in that shock to them. And then because I was doing a lot of social media work, uh, just like the whole A to C, all that stuff, and it was working. I was gaining followers, and I was also getting them to believe in the product and donate to the to the cause. Yes. So then um, I was like, I still need extra money. So I had a friend, shout out to Glenn Robertson, drummer, for the Six String Soldiers, if anyone checks them out. Um, they're like the largest most visible uh, military band. Okay. So he, at the time, was living in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. playing for like Russian Jewish weddings. Nice. Lucrative. And this band that I was in with him called the Bomb Squad. So he was like, yo, part of what I'm doing is also substitute teaching during the day. He's like, you're done by three. You don't have to do any homework, lesson plans, none of that. He's like, it's extra money. So I started substitute teaching. And while I'm... In 2015? Uh, 2014 into well, 2015. Well, you're fucking making a record and all. Yeah, this is a lot, bro. Yeah. So I my day would start at like 6 a.m. I'd substitute teach, and then I would teach private lessons, and then maybe have a gig after that. Yeah, and you just or recording sleep. Stuff. Correct. I, I don't sleep normally anyway. I sleep in increments, like four hours. Interesting. Not by choice. This has been like my whole life. Yeah. My mom said like even as an infant she'd put me down for a nap, and I, like two hours would go by and. I'd be wide awake. And she's like, no, you need to, you need to sleep. sleep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it wouldn't even be two hours. It'd be like 30 minutes. And it's just, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So anyway, um, as substitute teaching, I would read all these books. That's what I, that's when I was like reading all these books and just understanding how things were happening in music, in the music industry and just business in general. It's like, Oh, like I should have taken a business course in, in college, but no one tells you that they're like, Oh, you know, one tells you until you get out here. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, you got to learn how to play over giant steps and you got (laughs) to learn all these styles of music. And these are your two to five turnarounds. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you get out and it's like, here's a contract. I'm I'm sorry. What? You know, you're you're scheduling your own work life. Yeah. What? So I say, if you are, not going to be the guy that's going to dive down the rabbit hole and research and read all these books, then yes, maybe then hire some cats. Correct. But if you're someone like me that gets fascinated by information and likes to read, um, then you can do it yourself. And the information, there's plenty of information out there of people that have made enough mistakes that you can avoid some pitfalls. Yeah. So that's a hot take. Now, how much do you think, and maybe, this is a nebulous question, but like, even in the six years since you released your record, what are some things if you were to, what would change now? Like, what's even changed in six years? Well, I wouldn't make it a CD because now it's just a fancy coaster or vinyl. Like, I have a bunch of placemats if anyone, yeah. <laughs> if anyone wants one. Um, but yeah, so the, it just, I think 2015 was like one of the last years that people were buying physical CDs. Physical music. I see kids still making tapes and shit. And I'm like, well, I guess you got to do something. <laughs> yeah, there's other ways to do it. Um, like what I have right here. Hold on. So, yeah, the whole point of that was... That was a big question. That was a good answer of your journey through teaching yourself, self-educating. Well, the whole You point- are special. I'm, I like that you recognize that you're a special character, too. Like, not everybody can do that. Yeah. You I'm have still to working be- on it. It's It's been some... Some challenges. Um, to self-educate and then to self 
implement. Like it's the two coins that are like, that's a lot, dude. That's a lot. Well, thank you. But um, what would I change? You were asking, and that was, uh, I'm not good with compliments. So I'm, that's why I was like brushing that compliment like, off oh, really quickly. Okay, cool. It's like, thanks. <laughs> I'm usually like self deprecate and then redirect. Yeah. Um, so uh, what I did was that was the whole point. I was to get better gigs, right? It was an audible business card. So now I've evolved that into how can I do that now in a digital world? And I'm just going to reach over here and show you my newest thing. Yeah, grab it. Dude, you have your phone and your wallet all in one. It's a magnet. It comes apart. Oh, it comes across. Nice. Because, um, so, yeah, if you lost that, your whole nut is gone. You'd be like, oh, fuck. Yeah. It's, yeah, kind of a masochist, too. So. <laughs> um, this was presented to me. Uh, Hand that fucker to me. Okay. Let me see. Go. Okay. It's a, it's a, oh my God, this is beautiful. It's a business card flash drive. So where your right thumb is right there, if you flip that out. Oh, no. Oh, this way. This nope, way. you had it the right the other way. You had, nope. I want you to do All it. Right. <laughs> so this little thing flips out like that. Ah. It's flash drive. flash drive. So you throw on the flash drive all the things you want people to know about you. So on here are videos of me playing as well as my album and you could see the way the business card was designed. Shout out to Tommy Deal. Love that dude. Drummer and graphic designer. We looked at it as, okay, what are important on your business card? First, your name, what you do, your contact information, your picture. So people like look at the card and they're like, oh, that dude. Mm -hmm. And then also to do the same thing on your back of the card. Because if your card flips over, you still want people to know it's you. But anyway, so then we designed it and that little thing flips out there. Business card flash drive. These go to musical directors. Let me see. Look at this is pretty slick, dudes. You guys can't see what I'm saying. Even the whole graphic design is gorgeous. This is gorgeous. Look at it. Pops in this way. I want to pop you. Yes, I can do it. This is badass, dude. So yeah, that's my new What is this? This is just plastic. Yeah, it's just a little pla it's a business card plastic. But it's it's a little bit thicker. And, yeah, it's and, good. It, and it ho holds a flash drive in there. That's fucking amazing. So you put that into your computer. Mm -hmm. Mates. I like that it's just your fucking left arm. It looks like super. It'd be funny, dude, if you pulled this off and then it was still your arm. <laughs> <laughs> like it got longer. Like your arm is reaching to put it in. <laughs> you guys can't see this. Sorry, but it's cool. This is great, dude. In the back. It's uh, like, me and the companies that I'm endorsed by. Yeah, no, you. I like that you mentioned the artwork and the imagery that you do have for your prevailing melodies is so strong that it is in my head. So you did achieve your goal. Like you say it and because it's like a subway, it's something you see every day. And when I see it, I'm like, it, it's in, burned in my brain, dude. You you brain influenced me. Ah, uh, thanks. Dude. What else you got on that magical list? Well, it keeps there? going. Well, you, the, my next point, this is number four. Which you did kind of talk about was percussion. We did that earlier. But I'm going to go to the one, a sub, a sub point to the percussion Subreddit. Point. Subreddit, which you've alluded to twice now. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm curious, drum core. You say, you, and drum core, I like, you throw that fucking phrase out there. Like, that means the drum and bugle band, like DC1 mm -hmm. or something, right? Is DCI. That, DCI. As is, in Drum Corps International. It's like competitive... Marching band. Marching band. Basically, yeah. But is the it, difference is was... It, is it... You're not paid. It's... No. You're... 
What, Co- you're younger, man. Right. So it started. Tell me the, about it. Like I know nothing about okay. it because I don't know much about so, it. So. For most people, you just say it's like professional marching band. Yes. But in the professional sense, you don't get paid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's like a part-time job. Yeah. So it started with bugles, drums, and then the color guard, which had flags, sabers, and rifles that they would spin. And they, they kind of took it from like, like military drill teams. Yes. And you know, regiments and and military bands. Like, for example, like if you go to the old guard, the old guard is the third battalion of the United States army. And they still dress up in like the colonial garb with the white powder wigs and the tricorner hats. And they were actually, if you date them all the way back, they were George Washington's escort. Interesting. Musically. Yep. And where that like rudimental style drumming came from was a lot of communication to keep the, 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 military members in step to give direction, you know, um, because it's hard over like cannons and guns to be like, all right, we're going to flank left. You know, it's like, yeah, so yeah. you have the drums they, we and didn't all have phones. So, yeah, yeah. You have the, <laughs> the drums and the bugles to be able to convey that. So fascinating. Okay. What ended up happening was, um, in the early, I want to say 1900s to keep kids off of the street because just think about the early 1900s, school isn't what it is today, where people are trying to, some schools are setting you up to succeed in the future. Mm-hmm. Schools were basically to train kids to be obedient, um, do menial tasks for long hours, uh, not question authority, because they wanted them to move into factories. Yes. They wanted to train them for that. So... In the early 1900s, to keep kids off of the street and causing mischief in the summertime when school was out, these drum corps were an an option. So a lot of them were started by like YMCA's or Boys and Girls Clubs or even churches. Like the one that I joined, the Cadets of Bergen County, was started in Garfield, New Jersey by the Holy Name Church. And it was just a military organization. I'm sorry, a musical organization that took some of influence. Yes. And that to keep to you know, keep kids off the street, but also give them some kind of musical competitiveness. They would compete against each other. And at first it wasn't just musical that they were getting uh, adjudicated on. It was also the uniform. Like, were they able to like have the uniform fit properly? Did it measure to a certain length on their leg? You know, like the sash would only come down this far and they had to look proper. And then could they march and step correctly? Could they turn, you know, that stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so then it became a more athletic type situation with more art involved and that's when i was in it in the 90s in the 90s mm-hmm. so you're and you can only be in high school getting out yeah. of high school yep in you high can, school in high school into college you can only be you just kind of like drafted into these bands right? <laughs> well you audition but there's two levels there's the dca which is uh drum corps association which is called senior corps and you can be like pretty much any age to do that i know people that like got the bug and they still love it and they're like 50 and they go do this or 70 or whatever until they, you know, pass on. They do this thing and it's usually like weekends, you know, not the, not during the week so they can have a job. But DCI is, you can pretty much be, I think now 16 to 21, 22. Mm. Um, and it's just during the summer. Um, and, you know, this is something that I did for way too many years. 
<laughs> no, I look at it as like it was a chapter of my life. It got me to be a better player. I got good at touring. Oh, I was really good at by the end at being able to travel from city to city. And keep your shit together. Yeah. yeah, as a functioning human being living yeah. on a bus, <laughs> you know, and just whatever. So those are there's a lot of life lessons I got out of it. And I looked at it as this is a chapter, but other people are like so involved in it, and they're still doing it. They're yeah, still they're still the now they're yeah. educators, and now not only do they teach it, now they also judge it. You know, like I can understand that, and that's great. But for me, it was like this is a chapter, and now that chapter's closed, I'm moving on to something else. So, just for a little clarity, do all of the teams or crews travel, and it's like a tour? The fans come and watch you guys all yes. compete. It's so kind we, of like a. Mm-hmm. There are groups all over the like country. NASCAR, for lack of a better example. Exactly. There are um, yeah. dates all over. When when I was in it, the U.S. and Canada. Now there's other there's drum corps Europe and there's other cores in Asia too, but I don't think they figured out how to focus on the international part just yet mm-hmm. for cost reasons. Um, but yeah, basically, they had all these cores in the North America would have their audition camps around Thanksgiving. And then once a month, one weekend a month, they would get together to rehearse and and audition people, whittle it down to who the final members were going to be. And is then there's a set number of cats in yeah, each band. I, I don't know how many it is now, but when I marched it was 128 total. No be- more, no less. Correct. And you could divide those numbers up however you wanted. So Oh, with the color guard and the brass dr- and, and the, the drums. drums. Yeah. So they'd be like negotiating, like, all right, I need three more brass players in the trumpet section. If I could just have them from the percussion section, like, you know, or the color guard. I need two more people to spin flags or whatever. So um when I uh we, so once a month we would do it once one weekend. So you would a month. drive from Norwalk to Bergen County, New Jersey to go to rehearsal? Yeah, once a month. And that was like with uh, on a Friday evening, I could be watching The Simpsons at like 6 p.m. and still be early for a 9 p.m. rehearsal downbeat on a Friday. And it would be Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and it would end like Sunday, like 4 o'clock, and then I'd go home. Um, but there were that some people that were flying in yeah. from like Texas or, you know, Japan or England or the Netherlands. To be, what was the name of your team or Corrigan? Mine was the, the cadets, cadets, but there's some all over the country. Before I was in the cadets, I was in another one called the Boston Crusaders. Um, and they're, like I said, all over the country and they compete all summer long. You see different groups and you they go- tour around. People mm-hmm. go to the show because I've, I've seen one show at the Syracuse Fairgrounds. Maybe I watched you in the 90s, 1990. I probably watched you. Possibly. Uh, 1990 is a little early for me. I was too young but anyway, no you said 96 i was in it 96 7 to, 8 9 um and then before that i was in boss crusaders dog i was in high school and i saw this at the new the syracuse the new york state fair mm, it's and I possible remember, i remember what's beautiful about this experience is that i think that is the that first there's no woodwinds i'm kidding <laughs> shout out to <laughs> all the no woodwind players sax players <laughs> is that it's the first time you hear music that's so loud that your fucking face actually moves. Oh, like that old Memorex commercial where he's like sitting in the chair. You could feel the fucking shit on your face. It's like it makes a martial amp seem like <laughs> child's play. You know what I mean? Like have a hundred dudes blowing in your face. Yeah. Like, oh. I think that's like part of the draw is like just the sheer so, volume and the power. Yeah. And um, it's so powerful. Did you snare or quads or? 
Um, when I was in college, I did marching bass drum, which helped up my rhythmic accuracy because in the bass drum section, there's multiple, there's like five to seven people and you're playing part of a phrase. Yes. So you have to be part. <laughs> yes. Even, even more, uh, syncopated than that. How many, how many bass drums were there? Five? Generally five. Sometimes you can go up to seven, but I'm just saying like your part, instead of being like the whole 16th note, do, 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 do. You might be playing, you know, like yeah, you're playing yeah, 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 you're part yeah, yeah. of the, in the whole phrase, like, yeah. you know, yeah, fuck metal, fuck double kick drum, <laughs> check out drum core. Yeah. And then, um, so in college I did the, what they call the battery. Those are the people that you put on the drum and you march around. But in the drum core, I did the pit or the front ensemble. So this is stuff you couldn't really put on marimbas, xylophones, timpani, all that stuff. Yeah. Even though. In the 60s, they did have marching like xylophones and marching timpani and stuff. And these people had serious back issues. Um, (laughs) But anyway, so I did that. And I will say my last year, I was the drum major. So I was the guy conducting everything. And that gave me a lot of help in running an ensemble. Like that was huge that I've carried on to being able to rehearse efficiently. David Grant project. Yeah. So, um, Dude, I prefer to be a sideman major. I was, bro. That seems like such a massive responsibility. It was. And, and you're like 21. Yeah. But the thing was, I had so already, you've always been a super responsible dude. Yeah. I try to be, but it doesn't always happen. <laughs> I, well, I mean, I guess the drinking thing too, cause when I was in college, I would, I was like Uber before it, Uber was, I would drive my drunk friends home for parties <laughs> and like, they would like rent me. They'd be like, listen, I will give you bucks. all the Hawaiian punch you want if you just drive me and my drunk friends around <laughs> and we'll get you in all the cool parties. I was like, yo, let's go. <laughs> Fucking great. Um, yeah. But like I wanted to get, I think, but I think that's more of a drummer thing. I think drummers and percussionists are used to taking care of people musically and rhythmically yeah. that it's in their nature to also take care of them physically. Um, so anyway, um, yeah. Also, Did, that you you just like being around people. Uh, you sometimes I. But I'm, well, no, I mean like. But to be a drummer, no, you, it's like you, there's a human element to it. Like you enjoy camaraderie. Well, you, musically, yeah, as a drummer, I'm a band, dude. Like I don't like making music alone here on my computer. Like, but some people love that. But I like being around people. But the drums are an instrument where there's usually more than one percussion source, so they're used to playing l- with, with lots of people. Yeah. But I'm in extroverted introvert so in my life i'm an introvert but for my career i have to be extroverted so there's a very delicate balance of when i'm like hanging out with people and then i'm like i need to leave i need to be alone my social battery is dead yeah yeah um but (laughs) i'm leaving (laughs) sorry guys we're going yeah Yeah, there's, (laughs) there's a lot if you look up like what an extroverted introvert is You'll see, like, oh, oh, you know, like, the, what's that? The IMTXDB, what's that system called? I don't remember. Oh, is it the Anoram, uh, Anorama, Anoram, Anoramagram, or something? IMTF, like yeah, yeah. The people, uh, yeah. Some people can like talk to you and then tell you your letters. And you're like, yeah. Oh, all right, dude. Um, but I will say, like, I can hold a conversation on stuff that mentally will keep me in there, but small talk I can't do. So if somebody's like, oh, oh, like, so when I go to a party and I'm introduced as, oh, this is Damon, he's a, he's a drummer or he's a percussionist. Like, I hate that because they don't, 
introduce everybody else that way. Like they're not like, oh, this is Bill. He's an accountant. This is Bob. He's a photographer. This is Damon. He's a, they're like, oh, this is Mike, Chris, Rob, and Damon. Oh, he's a drummer. And it's like, ah, dude. Because now the I question, fuck my game. Yeah. When then it turns to me, and they're like, oh, are you in a band? Who who do you play with? Who's the most famous person? What do they like? And it's like I, that's the last thing I want to. I want to talk about like uh, smoking meats on a smoker or like gardening or something, you know, like, yeah, you know, Oh, did you go to, you know, England? What's this cool place? You know, like, yeah. So small talk will drive me up a wall. I cannot <laughs> do it. That's funny. Um, that's where we're different. Cause I live for small talk. I'm like, as Damon, look at you alluded to my next point. Wait, wait, so uh, just real quick to core. put a button on the drum core. Um, core. As the drum major, that kind of gave me a whole new set of challenges as far as like leading an ensemble, running a rehearsal, all that stuff. Um, and I was able to take the playing aspect because, you know, like the whole Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours, like I got that from playing. From six years of core. Uh, eight. Eight. <laughs> yeah. And then. At you, a, essentially a professional level. Yeah. yeah. And then you move on to now your last year, you're running the ensemble. You are the bridge between the rest of the members and the instructional staff. Um, then I came out at the real world. It was like way easier for me to function as a professional side man. Oh, definitely. All those skills make sense. Um, yeah. So, all right, go on to your. Sorry, didn't mean to stop. Well, you just set me up so fucking good, dude. You teed me up, and then I was like, I'm taking it. I see a hole. Go you know what it. I mean? Um, here, well, here's one final question though, because and this is a per, this is for P Maddie. Can we Spotify or YouTube this the audio of the kick drums? What's the band? Can I like the listen drumline? to the cadets? Cadets like newest? yeah, just, I'm sure it's all over the YouTube. If you just yeah. put cadets drumline. It's yeah, on there. The cadence. I want to listen to some pitched, um, you know, like five kick drums doing fucking hyper sixteenth note. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a whole ensemble thing. Like, isn't yeah, yeah? Yeah, I want to hear some. Yeah. All right, dude, so you, you queued me up. You set me up smoking wheats. The word on the street, you know, this is my next point. Mm. I'd like to know about your love affair with BBQ. Mm. Uh, started, you know, every black family growing up, there's always somebody that's, like, working the grill at all the <laughs> family reunions or whatever, you know. So all the gatherings, there's always somebody on the on the, on the grill, right? And, you know, I would always think I knew what I was doing until I was in the bomb squad and we did a tour that went down South and like every festival we played the, uh, the artists were fed from some pit master down South. Yeah. Oh. And it was like, Oh, 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 I've been faking it all along. Now is this a Northeast shortcoming? Is this, or is this, well, cause you it, said I mean, down you want, South. Now you want this to get is to an the, interesting, interesting thing. Here. Right. Is this a regional they take it so seriously. Yes. And that there's a book um, called The Cooking Gene mm -hmm. by Michael Twitty. And he is a chef. I think he has a residency at Colonial Williamsburg. But he will take people through the history of Southern cooking and low style cooking mm -hmm. um, and trace it back to basically like slavery yep you know and that's what the book is about. it's a book is not like a recipe cookbook it's a story of like the history of foods yes especially in the south and southern country low cooking 
And um, it was, you know, these, these slaves that would be out in the field all day working, whether it was picking cotton or cutting sugar cane or whatever, but they had to like eat later. So they would have something cooking. A slow roast. A slow and low. Or, slow and low. I mean, if you, even in some of the, like the hearth cooking, like one open fire mm. with different various pots of cooking, you know, like this one's cooking a bread and this one's cooking a stew and this, whatever. So that was something that was definitely well documented in the South, even though there is some, like I just got a cookbook not too long ago about this New England area, how they would cook over an open hearth and how it was uh, saltwater cooking, like the, the, the fish that was involved or some of the vegetables that were able to be grown up here, uh, especially in the colder climates. So, that was another thing. It was like each area had their own style of cooking, but the South, hundred percent, you know, definitely. As we were going through these different festivals, I was uh, tasting the different types of meats mm-hmm. and the different way that they would prepare them. Yeah, based on which state we were in. Yes, like physical state, not like mental state. Understood. <laughs> Strong cultural identity to. Kansas City versus Tennessee versus North Carolina versus Texas. South Carolina versus Texas versus yeah. Georgia versus Alabama versus, yeah, Louisiana. You know, and it was also yeah. not only um, the area of what, but the animals that were there. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like Texas is heavy on beef. You know, Georgia, definitely more on the pig. You know, uh, the Gulf Coast, seafood. You know, like, yeah. so. That got me really into it, like just interested in it. And I remember this is how it started. We were coming back from one of the tours, uh, and Glenn Robertson, again, uh, shout out to him, drummer. We were. That was the drummer substitute teacher? Yes. Yeah. I played percussion in the bomb squad. He played drum set. He was, there was many people that played drum set in that band. It was Callum like a revolving. Did it for a little while too, right? I don't think. Eric Cal might have subbed on it. I know he this was in the deep band. Banana Black deep Banana Black. Black. That's a different Jen band. Jen Durkin's band. Different band. So this Jen is a different Durkin. Different band. Different. Jen oh, that Durkin. Was Bomb Squad. Excuse me. Jen Durkin left Deep Banana Blackout when they broke up, and Ian McHugh, who started the Bomb Squad, asked Jen to front it after Javier Colon left, got signed with Capitol, singing with Derek Trucks. Okay. Um, so that's a lot of Connecticut music history in one sentence. <laughs> There's a lot of Connecticut musicians. Like the whole. Wait, wait, wait. Let's get to Connecticut musicians real quick. So, Connecticut was just a very fertile area with musicians because of the high level of music education that was going on there um, between private teachers and just school band programs. So, like. Being in between Boston and fucking New York. Yeah. Right. And a lot of the people that were playing, like in Broadway and stuff, would come up and live in the suburbs of. Connecticut. A hundred percent. All the best musicians are from Connecticut. Yeah. Well, so thank you. Very kind of you. It's true um, though. Yeah. So like the most famous being like John Mayer. Yes. He was in pretty famous cat. Yeah. Then there was also like Eric Krasno who was in New Canaan. New Canaan. He went to private school in Vermont. The, the McLean brothers, Carter and, and Jamie, you know, Richie Hart is the guitar teacher of these cats. Yeah. Yeah. And then He's, you have Link Chamberlain was teaching like, uh, Gil Paris and, uh, Andy Abel and Tim DeHuff, you know, and then monsters. you have like um, the other, you know, the musicians that we all know that Ryan Vaughn nicknamed the Connecticut Mafia, yes. like Ryan Perino, Jeremy Goldsmith, Shredders. Drew McKeon, myself, Gerald Miles, Dan Asher. Dan Asher. Um, I'm blanking. I know there's more. There's whatever. more of you. Yes. Yeah. 
Because he said you named the core guys in my mind, though. Yeah, Brian Forbes. Um, Forbes. Uh, but he said he would call it the Christine Tambakis. He would call it the Connecticut Mafia. He's like, because you guys just come down from from the suburbs and murder these gigs, <laughs> they go back <laughs> to space and and front yards and driveways. I know it's true, dude. <laughs> I remember being like, what? All these motherfuckers are so sick. Uh, and then anyway. they drive home. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, um, so uh, Glenn, who's from Spencer, Massachusetts, before he lived in Brooklyn, he would come back and forth and sometimes stay the drummer with of the Bomb Squad. The Bomb Squad. Currently in Six String Soldiers. Okay, that's the name of the band now? Yeah, it's a military band. Okay. They're pretty huge, militarily-wise. Like, yes, you alluded to them. Okay, okay. So It's all coming together, dude. I'll process this two hours after this is done, dude. Okay. Don't worry. It's so, not going to happen in real time, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I uh, what is it? Bounce after down, bounce offline. When you bounce something oh, down, yeah, you yeah, do yeah. it offline. That's like render it. Yeah. After this is done, I'll be like, I'm gonna bounce it down. Oh, I'll be like, okay, now I get it all. So in the bomb squad, after like a lot of these personnel changes, right? Because I mean, the the level of musicians that were in that band at any given time was ridiculous. I mean, you had like the Mason brothers, Brad and Elliot Mason, playing horns in it. Javier, I told you, was singing vocals at one point. You had Stu Brooks on bass for a little while. You had Marco Benevetto. It was like, it was crazy. But ended Monsters, up, dude, yeah. ended up being, uh, like, there was like a little trio within the the band that we hung a lot. And it was myself, Glenn Robertson, and Darby Wolf on keys. Mm-hmm. And we were coming back from one of the runs in the South, and we got dropped off at a, on, off a bus got our cars, and we're driving back to my parents' place in Norwalk because we were like only going to be home for like a little while and then we're leaving again. Glenn wasn't going to go all... And Glenn and Darby are from Massachusetts, so they weren't going to go all the way back there. I was like, you guys just, just crash here. So as we're driving back, we see on the side of the road, there's a store called Barbecues Galore, and it says like grand opening. Uh, first 50 people get a free gift bag. Glenn's like, yo. We we're going to be one of those first 50. I was like, Glenn, it's three in the morning. I'm going to bed. He's like, no, no, we're going to be one of the first 50. Short, long story short, we ended up being one of the first 50 people. Cause what he time was, did the shop open? Nine. Nine. He's like, we're, we're going. So he would like woke us up. Uh, Darby went back to Massachusetts, but we went over to the store. We got our free gift bag, which had like rubs and sauces. And then there were two pit masters out front in the parking lot smoking meats for other people and just giving information. One of them was the Stubbs guy, and oh, he was talking yeah. about like sauces and marinades. And the other guy was this guy named OBQ, O B I E C U E. He was a dude from Texas, wore a cowboy hat, giant bell buckle, and he had nine fingers. And he was talking about rubs. <laughs> yeah. And I still order some of my rubs from him. From OBCAT. OBQ. OBQ. And uh, so that's when I got into it. Like, oh, there's a science behind this. So then he told me about Myron Mixon who is the world's winningest barbecue champion. And then I started getting these cookbooks and like practicing and finding like YouTube videos and, oh, who's this guy, Aaron Franklin? And then TV shows were coming on, like the TLC and Food Network of like, you know, or the Destination America channel with like Pitmasters and how to cook this and how to smoke this. And then I got that, that I found about Michael Twitty and I got the, the cookbook and it was like, oh, this is how you do cook collard greens, and this is why we do brisket. It's like because this is a really tough meat that takes such a long time for it to break down, for yeah. it to actually be uh, juicy and tender. And then, yeah, so that's that's kind of what that's started. where it started. This, mm-hmm. and then, but that's when I got good at it. 
I should say it started with like family members on the grill. Family members, it's yes. But you're sitting around, homies are hanging. Yeah. But then, I like that you said that it's always it's like one person's job. And it that's <laughs> that's an interesting thing because it does always kind of fall on one person. In my family, we have a nephew, Justin. And the family joke is Justin will do it. He's like, <laughs> like ah, he was always been a responsible kid, probably like you were. Like, ah, oh, let's get Justin to do it. You know, I don't want to. Justin will do it. He can fix this. He can clean this. He'll do the BBQ. And so we would stick him on the grill at family gatherings mm-hmm. because he, we would know out of all of the nephews and nieces, he'll do a functional job. You know what I mean? So we're like, Justin, you run the grill. You other ones, dude, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and... From, I think, that familiar pressure he has become like, now he has to. And we're like, dude, this, you didn't do it right this time. Do it again. You know, like. Well, I think I, I earned, I had to prove myself. Because at first, you know, when you tell family members you're a musician, they don't really think that you have, like, the right skills. They're like, oh, well, just stir this. <laughs> <laughs> Chop these carrots. You yeah. know, like, very Go basic. Peel the potatoes. Mundane yeah. skills until you're like, no, d- hold up. Let, let, let me get over here. And then you work it out. And you're like, oh, Oh, and then so. So it's your family gatherings. Now you're on the grill. You're the chef. Yes. And I actually do like have a music. I think I invited you a couple times. I believe it. Uh, musician barbecue. I usually yes. do it like around Memorial Day. But because of COVID this year, it was on Labor Day. Um, but um, I curate the recipe or the menu. And I just tell pe- people are like, what should I bring? And I say, you can bring ice. You can bring a beverage of your choice. You can bring a dessert. I said, I will do the mains and the sides. Or if you don't want to bring anything, you can throw me a couple dollars. Yeah. But I curate the menu, and the only thing that I don't put on the menu is hamburgers and hot dogs. It's a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's real barbecue stuff. I have two smokers. Slow and low, dude. I have a garden in my backyard. Shout out to Ross Peterson. I got him him to build his own garden. I, I helped him out. Ross, the drummer? Yeah. He has a garden now. Did you know him and Seth Undercheck live in their garden's touch? I didn't know that. Their points of their, they each have houses that touch, yeah. Oh. Dude, I fucking love that dude, Ross. He's awesome. He is awesome. That's cool that you guys are friends. <laughs> All right, Braj, I'm going now to Sucker Shred. Okay. Now, Sucker Shred, I need a hard take here, okay? So don't, <laughs> you know, like, I feel like suck is just the binary, like, no, zero. And shred, I do feel like you can give levels of shred. This is like Van Halen 78 shredding, or this is like, I don't know, you know, Mike Campbell, like a mellow shred. It's not mm-hmm. like a full shred. So let's see. Into our game of sucker shred. And I have an original game of sucker shred. Okay. Because we were going to meet before Thanksgiving. And now this is diagnosed into a holiday one. So <laughs> <laughs> suck or shred, Taman, Christmas music. I think it shreds, but I relegate myself to listening to it after Thanksgiving and I'm done before Valentine's Day. Like it gets a window. Like there's some people I know that it could play all year long. But for me, I'm like, no, I'll get sick of it. So So I give it a little window. Black Friday, you're in. Mm -hmm. You cut it off 26th. Or you said before it just at some point before Valentine's Day. You have to be done with it, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I did your family listen to it a lot? My mo- I grew up in a family where my mother didn't really like it. So I have such a weird relationship with it and then you do it and you're playing it and you're like, "Oh no, I like it." It's a for a musician, it's like different music all of a sudden for like a month. No, you know? we uh we my so 
my dad has a lot of 33 and a third size records, and my mom has a lot of 45s. So Chris, we did play a lot of Christmas music. Um, and a couple of my favorite albums are like Ella Fitzgerald, Wishes You a Swing in Christmas. The Donny Hathaway record. Donny Hathaway one. Um, I mean, that one is fucking incredible. Yeah. What's uh, Oh, uh, there was one that I listened to as a kid. I don't think it was my dad's, and I tried to replace it, and it's over like two hundred dollars in vinyl, and that would be uh, Ray Charles' "Spirit of Christmas" that album. Mm. Yeah, um, but yeah, so Christmas music was was great. Um, See, yeah, you're in. I I'm like a lone cat on this one. I'm like I hate it. It's not really my thing. I like Silent Night. I don't know. Other than that, I'm. It, it doesn't. There's a point deep in the Christmas season where I'm like, I should have gotten into this sooner. It's like December 24th. <laughs> and I'm like, I finally get it. I get it. I got the spirit of Christmas. And then it's gone. Mm. You know? All right. This is a commentary <clears throat> on just um, super popular flavors, like how flavors become a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Like everything all of a sudden tastes like pumpkin this year. It seems like the super in vogue thing. Uh What's your sucker shred eggnog flavor? I can't stand it. <laughs> you, I mean, some people, really, I think that's a do or die. Like, some people would die for eggnog, and some people just can't stand, like... Not even one glass? You don't even no. have, like, one sip? Not can't like, do it. Can't do it. The thing, I don't like eggs. Oh, so you don't like eggs. I, when I was young, the only way that I would eat eggs were scrambled with hot sauce on them. And now, as I'm older, I just don't like eggs, period. So Really? Yeah, Not I, even... Now, if they're mixed in, like, as a batter to make a bread or a cake. Or a cookie, yeah. Yeah, I'm fine with that. Eggnog, eggs, any other way, no. No, hard no. No omelets, no No sunny side up, none. None. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. None. So what's your breakfast order? Um, Waffles. Yeah, it's usually pancakes, pancakes, waffles, French toast, crepes, you know. But um, no pure egg. Baked goods are my weakness. (laughs) Um, and just a side note, there was like, I don't remember who it was. There was a comedian that was talking about like how we just go in on animals. And he was talking about how fried chicken is one of the most brutal foods because not only are we like killing and eating the chicken, <laughs> but we're dipping it in, in its, its babies, babies. Yeah. its unborn babies. Yes. And then like cows are another level because uh, not only do we eat the cows, but we also eat the cows' babies. And then we drink the milk intended for the cow's babies. And then when our kids go missing, we put pictures of our kids on the carton of milk. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's fucked up. (laughs) Fucked up because it's true. Um, Year end list. Mm -hmm. Sucker shred, dude. Um, I, I think the year end list sucks, but the beginning of the year list shreds. Like you, you wrapped up last year. It's like okay, reevaluate, reassess. So for this new year, what have I accomplished? What am I still working on? And what do I have yet to start? So on a personal level, you're on lists shred, starting the year, but ending the year, yeah, you don't make personal lists like this is what I accomplished. No, because it was in the past. I'm like, all right, and scene. What are, what do I need to? Continue. To, I gotta like, move forward because, like in our, everybody makes like best movies of the year, best records yeah, of the year, any of that. best <laughs> best books. No, best, no. Uh, even when TV the memories shows, come up in like, like Facebook nah. and Instagram, it's like this was your memory three years ago. I'm like, okay, cool. Next, 
like I don't even look. I just I don't even repost those. That's not your thing. You're moving no. forward. However, I the paper calendars I told you, I still keep those mm-hmm. in a in a cabinet on a shelf. I got them all right behind you. Yeah. At some point, I don't know. Maybe if I've had enough adventures, maybe I'll go back and look through them and put them together in a book or something. Or maybe somebody else wants to read them. But I don't, I personally don't like go back and reflect. Your on eyes that. forward. We're moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Present and forward. What am I doing right now and what do I need to do? Good. I like it. Dude, that's kind of an open ended one. I like, I personally like to take the reflection period of the new year to, similar to your thing, like let's take stock. What has been good? What can we change moving forward? Mm-hmm. Even though New Year's resolutions are ridiculously hard. It's more like... Well, like with any goal, they should be measurable, uh, within a time frame, achievable. Yeah. Um, you know. In my paper calendar, I do keep track of my workouts. And I look back and see... This is only in the past few years. Because mm-hmm. I was like, there's no way I can gauge this. So I was like... I, <clears throat> I've started to keep track of like... How many times did I work out? How many today? So I don't know. That's my own thing. I do uh, have a I have a, a dry erase board that has a bunch of goals on it, and there's three color check marks next to things. One, and it's either uh, I've completed it, uh, it's in progress, or I have yet to start it. So I have to like keep track of like. Wait, okay, what kind of board is it on? Like a dry erase board in your room? In, in your... my in my office, if you will. Yeah. That's good. So it you it it's got to be a, visualize it each day. You're like, yeah, this you got to put my... your goals. They got to be somewhere where you can see them every day, and to make sure that you're doing a little bit each day to work towards them. Do you know what I mean? Like if you yeah. write a goal list and you stick it into your calendar, you don't look at that all the time. But if you put it somewhere where you're going to be every day, and you're like, okay, have I done a little something towards any one of these goals today? Yeah, you'll be closer to what's that. Uh, like, what's one, for example, that you look at every day? Like, a long, long, long-term one, and you're like, all right, fuck. Didn't get to that today, but tomorrow. Is there one like that? Um, well, there's one that I'm constantly evaluating, and it's uh, it's a, a stick bag that I designed basically to make my life easier. Because I would get onto airplanes, and I would need a book bag, a stick bag, and then another little bag with toys, like cowbells, shakers, tambourines, stuff like that. So I was like, I need to combine these into one thing. So I basically hand sketched something way back in 20, well, I thought about it in 2011, but I actually put it on paper in 2012. And then it's been evolving. I've asked other drummers like, hey, when you go on the road, what's one thing you would love that would make your life easier? And I've kind of uh, evolved the, the project and I pitched it to a company and they think that they thought that it was a great idea and that they want to license the design for me. So um, it's now in line of products that they're going to release, but there's other ones in front of it that they have to complete first. Mm. But we're working on it little by little. And like I never thought I'd be researching things like which zippers are the best <laughs> or which material should a bag be made by ballistic nylon or, you know, like yeah. felt or leather. Like, uh, like YKK makes some of the best zippers. Okay, they cool. Do. And how can we waterproof them? And like all this stuff um, so that this one bag will be a combination stick bag with toys available and also you will 
put some of your electronics in, whether it's a laptop, iPad, or whatever. Would it be a backpack-sized thing? It's a carry-on size thing that could also be used as a backpack because you want to be able to just carry it on and not have to check it. Yeah. Um, it's got some other features that I'm not going to tell anybody on this podcast because I don't want them to steal it from me. But it has been moving in a positive direction, and that's something like every day – I'll see a bag or I think I've researched like every backpack out there right now. That's interesting. But I'm into backpacks. I've researched it and every day I like tweak it just a little bit. I'd be like, oh, like I just talked to Zach Jones and he gave me an idea that I was like, oh, that's cool. And now I'm tweaking a little bit of it. Mm. And there's a guy um, who makes like 3D renderings on screen, like for like companies like Nike and stuff like that to scale. So he's been helping me like evolve the design of it. Selfishly, it's just something that I want to make my life better. But there's been yeah, plenty yeah, of people that there's other people in the world that could use this. Yes, and some have told about, and they're all like, "Let me know when that's out. I want it." <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. All right, here's a controversial one. Just like Spotify, bro. Mm-hmm. Suck or shred. Singing contests on television. Well, I think there's always going to be a need. For those, for the general public to, you know, talent shows, Star Search, American Idol, whatever. Yeah. Like, there's always going to be a void for that to be filled. But I think that sometimes they give an unfair reality that's not true to the general public, right? Everybody knows that, like, when you're grinding it, you don't have a hair and makeup team. You don't have flights and hotels that are paid for. You're not in a tour bus. You're not flying first class. You don't have a whole band with a musical director doing the arrangements that you just walk up and sing, you know. And I've noticed with students of mine and other people that there's certain instruments that give you a huge frustration crash immediately. Singing, drums, guitar, the first three that come to mind, where somebody will see it on TV think it's easy go to try and do it and wonder why how come i'm not on tv and have this band backing me and i look fantastic and people love it and you know what i mean like yeah i don't have the blue check mark or whatever it's like no man it there's a lot of work that goes mm. into this so mm-hmm. um i think i wouldn't say it's a full suck but it's like <laughs> a semi suck <laughs> it's like half half shred half suck you know what i mean like <laughs> You feel me? Oh, God. 100% on, especially on the first point, because it's like, I don't personally enjoy over singing. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, the music I listened to, like, so some diva or devo wiling out over a track, like, when it's okay and appropriate in a tiny little. Well, thing, I think that goes to your. Co- yeah, yeah, that's cool, I dude. I think that goes to your catalog. Like, as you're saying that, I'm thinking of like the singers I listened to growing up, you know. And you just said you listen to Frank Sinatra all the time. Like these are people that Dude came out never riffs and they yeah. sang the sang melody the tune. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like there's not enough emphasis on how important that is to just sing the melody. You know, like you wouldn't have a conversation like that where you're doing vocal acrobatics and talking. You know, like so. Just get the point across first. That's, that would be my thing. As a singer, I feel like sometimes normal people have this concept of what singing is. And you're like, wait, dude, my favorite singers. Like, I did a wedding with Abby Payne last night. Mm-hmm. woman never does a riff. 
goddamn, she sings the shit out of the song, though. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, and you're like, to me, that's cool. Like, so it's funny when other people, I think they're just like, why isn't she wiling out right now? So now there's the other people that can do it, that well and keep it hidden within the melody, like Whitney Houston. Well, right? yes, or dude, she's a goddess. You course. know, in your she's, if you're teetering on the line of like what is too much, Mariah Carey gets right up to that line. She's right on the line. Dude. And then yeah. you get to somebody like Christina Aguilera who can't sing three notes without showing you what she can do, and it's like it's like vocal Tourette's. It's like Yeah. It it's it's a complicated issue for working guys. Yeah. This, these these shows and you're right even just the perception like as you alluded to earlier and I've been saying you know people listen with their eyes like dude what like yeah <laughs> so it's a half it's a half suck I think that was a good way to it's a half suck it's like we're all kind of battling it especially with students I mean and the greatest thing is like yes there are the the TV shows employ other musicians like there's house bands that have work you know, I have friends that play in these house bands. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. I'm, I'm happy that they have these work. This work, a hundred percent. However, I know how much work they're doing versus how much work the front person is doing. You know, there's like, like I've played with a fair amount of Voice and American Idol winners and or finalists. Yes, and I know which ones have like paid their dues and put in the work so when they leave that show they can still work. maintain a career yeah. yeah and then others that are like the wool's been pulled over their eyes and they're like well how come i don't have this anymore where did it go yeah it's like well your tv contract ended yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's that it was a good one it's a hot take uh let's see two more here <laughs> This is in the in the vein of a holiday movie. Uh, Die Hard one, two, or three. Christmas movies, just suck. Sucker Shred. Oh, yeah. oh, oh! I thought you were asking Christmas movies. Like everybody always forgets to put Die Hard as a Christmas movie. Die Hard is a Christmas movie, so it's a it's a shred. Oh yeah, clearly you're. I mean, you're agreeing that it's a yes. I, I, I think agree that, too. It's like the best holiday movie. It's the same thing. Like when you go to the club. And like for like I'll just I don't know a song like uh, Jamie Foxx is blaming on the alcohol, right? You like this song is like the dumbest lyrics. I'm blaming it on the alcohol, like this or like you pick any song, like WAP. You you look at the lyrical content. You're like this, you know. And then you have somebody like Joni Mitchell, who it's like true poetry, you know. And it's like well, you have to realize that. Sometimes people don't want to think that hard. They just want entertainment or... Mindless entertainment. Yes. Yeah, I love it. So when it comes to diehard movies, you have to think about it like that. Like, is this a Michael Bay explosion fest? You know, Transformers or Fast and Furious? Or is this like a Spielberg, um, Scorsese, deep, slow burn thinker? Yeah. yeah, like there's markets for both of those. I think they can both exist. So uh, I grew up with <laughs> my friends used to call my dad Mr. Blockbuster because he had a Blockbuster membership. And his famous line was like, just because you haven't heard of it doesn't mean it's not any good. <laughs> and he would just every weekend get movies and half of them would just be like, are you, what are we watching? He watched every one. He would just watch new releases because they were new. And, you know, he used to as a kid, we used to watch. 
uh, Kung Fu Theater on Sundays or like any of those old Westerns. And it's just like you have to just put into minds. It's like he would work all week and just on the weekend, he didn't want to think. Yep. He's like, I just want to be entertained. So you have like, for a second. yeah, you so you, you know, and even you think about that, uh, that interview that Barack Obama had where they're like, how come, you know, you wear the same thing every day? And he's like, well, you know, all the greats do that because of decision fatigue. Your yeah. brain can only make a certain amount of decisions before it's done. And he's like, I want to leave my brain power for when I'm in the situation room and we're deciding like who to bomb versus what shirt I'm going to wear uh, on a Tuesday. He's like, that's, that's the same amount of brain power. So I want to use my brain power for the hard decisions and not the mundane ones. So sometimes you just need to like give your brain a break and check out and be like, yes, let's just throw on some explosions and, and just check out. Yeah. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, of course. Musically, visually, all of that. Here's my final question, and then we'll wrap it up, bro. Okay. This is a hotly debated issue, I've found. <laughs> With the Holiday? Beatles? No, 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 no. <laughs> this is an even bigger issue. Beyonce? <laughs> the holiday meal time. The holiday meal. Okay. The time. Do you like the 2 p.m. meal, or do you like to push it into the evening? Is it weird to have the holiday meal in the middle of the day? Depends what your family did. This is a big issue. A lot of people have strong opinions. I come from the the holiday meal was at 2 p.m. You know, but like this, there's a the trend is like, what is that? That's no meal. But here's the thing: we have breakfast. Are we supposed to? I want everybody's pushing the holiday meal into just a normal dinner thing. It's been pushed around. I just wonder where you stand on this. A connoisseur of the meats like yourself. There are unfair variables that you're leaving out, like the fact that I'm black. So, in, in, what, in the black community, what's the, what's the meal time? I mean, it's still 2 o'clock, but when we start eating, it'll be closer to 5.30. <laughs> so it's still like dinner. Yeah, because, I mean, you got to wait for the cousins to come over. and you know. In the black community, it, even I would think it would be like earlier, post-church. Well, I mean, that's breakfast. Black, black churches ain't getting out till two. <laughs> that's probably true. So you have, you know, you have the fact that like, depending on what day you're having a holiday meal on, like Thanksgiving. There's, well, I mean, some families have church every day of the week. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it depends on the, the church scene. Does yeah. So you have the church deciding when you're going to eat. You have the the promptness of your relatives showing up on time which is always almost a losing battle. And then you also have the preparation of the food because, you know, a lot of things will take longer than you originally planned. Like, if you're smoking anything on a grill, that's going to... That's, that's, that's hours. That's hours, depending on what you're cooking. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's been so this- a tradition that it's going to be at 2 o'clock, but you're not eating until much later. That's your family's tradition. I think that's most people with a melanin count higher than khaki. <laughs> I'll have to do some research. Because <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You know, I only know what I see. It's, it's, um, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, my thing is, I actually like the 2 p.m. concept because... I like to spend time with people. So you're going to get together, you're breaking bread, and then you're spending the day together. You know what I mean? Whereas the dinner, it still is like, okay, this is like if you don't like your relatives. Let's hang out. Come over at five. 
we'll eat, and then you can go. Well, you know some people, mean? the eating starts at two and, and just continues. Just yeah, exactly. Which is where you're doing like a snacking thing. It's the a snacking, are, and the snacks gradually get bigger and yeah. more substantial. True holiday meal style. Yeah. What time does the meat come out then? What are the first snacks? Uh, I mean, finger foods. Things that you can hold in a napkin yeah. or, or with one hand. What does your family do? Uh, well, the family's gotten smaller over the years because people have moved away. Or, and COVID. Or, or yeah, passed dude, on. I did Christmas or Thanksgiving with three people. Yeah, so. Yeah, people have moved away and or passed on. Mm-hmm. So uh, it used to be like the all-day thing. And now it's gradually gotten to be we're going to eat it too. And things run late. <laughs> Still don't eat till like four thirty-five. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> food. That's funny. Pre- prepping food and or people's arrival run late. <laughs> yeah, that's funny on the family thing too. Because I was telling you, my nephews and nieces, my family was crazy, mm-hmm. tapered down, and now we're back on an upswing where the the generation below me is reproducing. Mm. So now it's like feels like crazy again because there's like children around. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That makes it like this is like a thing. Like it feels like a holiday again. So that's because like the other side of my family is like what you were saying, where it's like it's getting smaller. There's no kids around. It feels very different. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. The time of the family meal. I, it's a. I was thinking too because. When I was drinking, I wanted that time to drink. Mm. So I wanted the later meal. Get all lubed <laughs> up. Get all lubed up. <laughs> and then you're like, you eat and then you just kind of go to bed. Because as soon as you eat that big meal, but... You I eat, think, say something inappropriate in there in the middle, <laughs> and then go to bed. I rant my leftist <laughs> politics out there to everybody. You know what I mean? Drunkenly. And then they're all just like, all right, dude, chill out. Like, <laughs> like I'm going to bed. And I think maybe now without the drinking, I liked it. But it's a hard thing to plan. Do you have breakfast? How do you serve snacks if you do a 2 p.m. sit-down thing? I get it. But see, I like, that's what makes it like an a-traditional day. Like, let's I think have a if fucking huge meal early if you and do get have, out. If you do have breakfast, it has to be a light breakfast. It you gotta go You can't go early. in. So, like, in my family, especially on my mom's side of things, like, you can eat cereal at any time of the day. <laughs> on that day or any no, day? No, just any day of the year. Cereal, that cereal is not a breakfast food. It could be lunch, dinner, whatever. So uh, I think on a day that there's going to be like a heavy meal coming, uh, like you restrict it to one bowl of cereal. Ah, I like one bowl of cereal just to, you know, work your way in and then wait. Yeah. yeah. Then your, your metabolism wakes up. It's like, oh, okay, okay, let's, let's do this. All right. And then you show up at two and there's some finger foods and then it just keeps getting bigger and. And, you know, depending on how you've prepped for this leading up to it, you know, your, your stomach may be like, okay, okay, uh, that's enough. That's enough. And other Call. times you're like, no, we're, we're not done. <laughs> There's still dessert. Um, you know, because it takes 20 minutes for your stomach to tell your brain that you're full. So a lot of times, I was talking about this with somebody, in, in our profession, we uh, eat alone a lot. Uh, and eat fast a lot because it's usually on the way from one thing to another. And we don't necessarily know if or when there will be another meal. So true. when food is presented, we consume as much of it as we can mm. in the event that it will be 
several hours before we get to look at food again. So that practice of consuming food irresponsibly can lead to poor dining habits. Uh, and so anyway, <laughs> that's a good take. That's the hot take right there. Oh, that's it. Yeah, I could I could have a bunch more comments on that one. But I was thinking about the speed eating thing too, because when you are at a gig, it's always just assumed that you like go back and entertain. You know what I mean? Like so. Yeah. You're like to so eat fast, and you usually eat fast, and it, it's you're I alone. Don't enjoy it, so but you're not I can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I move shovel next. Yeah. Yes, but you're right that you have. To, I think I've learned that I function a little better by eating like half of the meal. Well, one trick I've been doing is... eat the whole meal, then I can't sing. I can't just get air in, you know? One trick I've been doing and trying to get better at recently is uh, you eat a spoonful or forkful of whatever it is, and you wait to finish masticating in your mouth and swallow before you pick up another fork or spoonful. Just really slowing it down. Yeah, because like... Think about it. You eat it, and then immediately your your utensils back into the food. Yeah. So if you can just do that couple seconds of like, let me finish this bite before I spoon up another one, then it'll help. It'll help. It won't solve the issue. Mm. <laughs> These are deep-seated issues. Yeah, go yeah, back. yeah. Damn it, dude. Thanks for fucking coming down to Secret Famous. This is my last question. I think we kind of know, but what's the future hold, and where can people check you out? Um, all my social media is the same. Damon M. Grant. I'm the most active on Instagram. Um, the future for me is hope, uh, more gigs. Um, anyone who wants me, please call me. <laughs> um, I record from home. I don't know if that uh, there was something I kind of upgraded during the, the pandemic like everybody else did. But I specialize in the percussion instruments. So not necessarily the drum set, but hand percussion shakers tambourines claps snaps sound effects stuff like that um so i can record from home for you and i'm almost done doing a percussion one shot in loop library which will be out with uh yurt rock formerly the loop loft and uh that is going to be divided into five segments the first one is everything the whole package another one is like the basics so like congas and bongos and tamales whatever then Uh, A singer-songwriter pack, so like my Cajon-based setup, that kind of grooves. Uh, Sound effects, which is like, like I said, snaps, claps, whips, chains, all the S&M stuff. And then the last one is uh, recreations of pop tunes. So uh, myself and Marcos Torres, who started the the podcast, we have a playlist on Spotify (laughs) Mm -hmm. of like the most iconic pop percussion tracks. So... I realized that people were like, I want something kind of like uh, Africa by Toto, but they couldn't call Lenny Castro. So I'm like, oh, well, I'll just do a bunch of these stems. So I have recreated at the right BPMs, you know, the, the iconic pop songs like Africa from Toto, uh, All Night Long, Lionel Richie, Ooh. Holiday, Madonna, like all of that stuff. So that's the fourth part of the, the, the library. So I'm almost done with that. I'm up to like 650 something one shots and loops. That you're tracking by yourself at home? In my home studio, yes. And then does it go to the company? It will go to Yurt Rock after that. and then you That's where buy. people would purchase them. Yes. And Samples. I'm in good company because Yurt Rock just secured like a bunch. They've got like Charlie Hunter and 
I think Carter McLean and a bunch of other people, but they just secured um, Clyde Stubblefield too on there. So his library of stuff. So wow. If you can't, if you don't want me, you can always get Clyde. <laughs> How much is the pack going to be? We don't like know $100? yet. Hundred dollars. We because we'll have different price points based on the whole package versus one segment of the package. So yeah. So that's your main focus right now, and then fin- the, I gotta finish that the I, history of Latin percussion. That is a small s- undertaking that you're doing. That's a, yeah. <laughs> that's so, your long term goal besides the stick bag. That's like a ten year. Yeah. So basically, when I wake up in the morning, I answer emails and do scheduling, and then uh, I may or may not have lessons that day that I'll do. But what I do is I'll prepare for gigs that I have. So live gigs are like number one. I'll finish up any recording sessions for people that have sent me stuff through my website or otherwise. Um, and then with DamonGrant.org, I guess I should say that. And yep. then dot org. I'll do the podcast stuff if I, if I need to do any of that. And then the fourth thing I get to do is the loop library, which I've been posting on Instagram because Ryan, the guy who owns Yurt Rock, Ryan Groose, he was saying, you know um, – we need some help promoting this once it's done. So I uh, basically I just re- record myself video wise, recording audio wise, the, the loop songs and just put them on Instagram so you can see what I'm doing. So that's it. And your studio is the modern. Yeah. It does audio and video. It does. I did that. Over, thanks to Isamu McGregor with his uh, stuck at home records project this summer or last summer, I should say uh, I got into Upgrading my home studio situation as mm-hmm. well as the video situation. Um, I can record up to four cameras. Damn, dude. Got some backdrops and uh, the microphone situation is all Sennheiser or AEA microphones. It's a Focusrite preamp. And uh, yeah. Um, Are you a Logic dude or a Pro Tools dude? I am Logic because I, it was just easier when I, I hadn't learned either one and I was like, talk to you know a bunch of people and the consensus was if you don't want to be frustrated just go to logic yeah um and at this point i mean it doesn't even matter because no it doesn't matter you can always change it yeah right but um yeah so that was like one thing i definitely took the time to figure out i was sending stuff to other producers and engineers and i was like hey what do i need to fix in this home studio situation and it was very minimal what i needed to upgrade because i've been used to packing up my car and going to a studio um shout out to the carriage house which was like right around the corner for me yeah love that place and then the, a bunch of people like that i had sent stuff to would give me feedback and everybody was like no this stuff sounds great and then a couple engineers were like yeah if you just tweak this one thing and it was really just a couple of microphones and my preamp yeah a good preamp yeah uh, i had the i had the presonus fire studio um, which I still have, but that's in a separate room for like uh, my living room if I need to set up in there because I have my drum room, which is full of, you know, if that's like set up with one setup and I need to do another setup, whether it's a drum set or my cajon kit, I'll do it in the living room. I'll use the PreSonus Fire Studio. But in the main room where I do all the, like, the hand percussion stuff, that's on the Focusrite uh, Octopree. And the reason is because I need eight inputs. So um, that's why I went with that one. Damn, B. Gear talk. <laughs> I'm a gear nerd. That could be a whole nother that's, podcast. Dude, you could do. You should do it. I, that's the stuff I'm always like, I don't know. Clearly, I'm into pedals. but David M. Grant on the internet. Cats. <laughs> Check them out. Hire them. Play with them. Be, be so lucky. 
Thank you for uh, coming down, dude. Let's go get some Greek food. Absolutely. Takani's Yasu. Yeah.
Cats. Thank you for listening to that. I just played you out with Overdrive featuring, featuring Christine Tamanakis. She's so badass that I just picked her track. I like that track too. Her voice is smooth and she's a rock. She's a fucking rock god. Okay. Anyway, this is the outro. This is the outro. This is the outro. Take care of your bad cells. Get after it. Holler at your mind. Did I ever tell you that? Like in yoga class? <laughs> ah! I was just trying to rip the ohm for the longest amount of time. Oh, that's my longest one. I could do way longer. Anyway, namaste. See you all soon.